listening to the bomb hole. Bomb hole podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> the bomb going to slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On the big, nice, burgundy snowboard. All right, here we go again. We are back at the booth here at the bomb hole, which is presented by Pub Beer. Now, first things first, buds, how we doing? So good, my dog. Love hearing that. To my left, we have Ali Goulet in the booth. Ali, how we doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, my dogs. Love that. Now, for our listeners that don't know who Ali is, uh, he's a was a pro snowboarder for a long time. Career goes... Back from the early 90s all the way through 2004, he's an avid car enthusiast. He's a debatably inventor of the Misty Flip. He's got countless covers, interviews, great video parts, a true pioneer for our sport. But first things first, I think we should talk air horn. Um, <laughs> I heard, you know, we j- he was just briefing us on the air horn. It sounds like we're going to be throwing a lot of air horns out here, Ollie. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I like the the selector needs to be on point with the air horns. They need to be dropped appropriately in the cut. So, you know, sometimes you got to give a little direction. I like that you thought about it before you came on the show, like how the air horns are going to be delivered into who and when. He's like, just be ready for that air horn button. We're going to be smashing (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah, smash that air horn (laughs) on pretty much everyone I mentioned, just like that, unless they're insignificant. All right, well, let's get started here. Uh, where where did you grow up originally, and how did you get into snowboarding, Ollie? Right, um, yeah. So that this is like the old story. I love telling the story. Um, basically, I grew up in Vermont and lived close to Sugarbush, which is a ski resort there in Vermont. It has Sugarbush uh, North, Sugarbush South, close to Mad River Glen. It's like the Sugarbush Valley. Um. So I was into skateboarding, as most young kids are in the 80s. I started when I was like nine, and, you know, snowboarding started sort of showing itself, and by 11, I was like, I was just into it, because I was was a ski racer, too, actually, because we were right there in the Mad River Valley. They had um, Green Mountain Valley, what is GMVS, Green, Green Mountain Valley School. Um, and it was a ski racing school. So we had like Olympians coming out of there. And so before we snowboarded, my buddies and I banged gates, you know, we were out there running the slalom, like with the protection. And so as soon as snowboards came on the scene, we were like, you know, this is what we want to do. You know, we'd touched a few skis back then, uh, but nothing really looked like snowboarding. So that's like, you know, that the whole snowboarding or skateboarding was the impetus to, to the snowboarding. And that's really what, I guess, guided my snowboarding and most people snowboarding, I would imagine like if you have that skate influence and you know, you, you're looking, I'm looking to the snowboarders, but I'm looking to the skaters too for, for that style that I want to want to bring. Not that I had any style when I first started snowboarding. Um, so yeah, Vermont. And it was, it actually turned out to be like a pretty hot spot. So you know, people that came out of my town were like Seth Miller, Seth Neary. Those guys are significant. <laughs> well, I was, I was, if you're gonna do, a, I was gonna group them all into one air horn. I wasn't gonna go. I was waiting. I was gonna do a cumulative air horn on that. Right. I was like, well, those guys a- are definitely significant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we got to go air horn, air horns on the lot of them. So that okay. was just two, and then we had, of course, Lucas Huffman and Jesse Huffman who came out of there. Um, you know, myself, there was uh, Jason King, who had some some light shine. He's a super style god. Um, 
you know, obviously there was, you know, guys before us too that were really influential, like Jeff Brushy. Todd Richards was, you know, he was, I think he's Massachusetts or New Hampshire. He's Massachusetts. Yeah, Massachusetts. Be clear so, about I mean, that. He Which would you say was more influential, Massachusetts or Vermont? Obviously, Massachusetts is a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in my time, Massachusetts wasn't doing shit. So they, it they, was all. They didn't even really. It was all Vermont map, at that right? time. They weren't even on yeah. the map, pretty much. No, I mean Todd was driving to. Vermont. But that uh, you know that was a different time. Yeah, yeah. Not to you know take any shine off of Massachusetts. <laughs> I mean, I, we can we can fire this debate up. I mean, we got Big Mountain <laughs> Jeremy Jones, we got Scott Stevens, we got Todd Richards. You know, the list goes on forever. Right. Oh yeah, I mean the list is long. But my for my, that little time zone, let's say ninety ninety one. Anyway, so Vermont was popping, and that's where. You know, there was we were digging our half pipes. We had uh, the Green Mountain series to chase, which was you know half pipe slalom, giant slalom competitions, because that's what you did back in those days. Like, you'd have like three half pipe events, and the rest of them were like slalom, giant slalom. And I'm like out there in my tights with my balls all froze up, just wondering like, why don't I just do the half pipe? Um. Anyway, so that's like the er- kind of made early you scenes. do all that, right? And Early days of Green Mountain Series? Yeah, I don't think it was required. Like, you could have just, you know, cherry-picked the half pipe, but we were on this thing called the Clearwater Snowboard Team, um, and that actually had Seth and Seth and Lucas and Jesse. We were all on that team, and um, I want to say it was Jenny Hahn, who was a Burton rider. She was, like, head of the snowboard ski school at Sugarbush, and she was also coaching us for this Mad River Snowboard Team. Um, yeah, air horn for Jenny Hahn. Um, but so that was just like, we were the team, we were going to go to these events and, and then, you know, it just took you a while to like think it through. You're like, Oh, we're going to go to the events. And then you're like, Oh, well, as much as giant slalom and slalom's cool. Like, I don't want to do that anyway. So, so let's do a Patreon question. Now that we're talking yeah. about, uh, or you were talking about the mad river Valley. This is from Travis Kerr. Have to ask about the parking lot confrontation resulting in the snowboarder ban at Mad River Glen. Rumor is you were in the mix. A group of snowboarders confronted a lady at that ran Mad River in the old Grand Union parking lot. Snowboarding has been banned ever since. Any truth to this? <laughs> I mean, it's like any great tale. It's a mix of uh, some truth and some, you know, folklore. But yeah, so th- there's actually a video. And uh, I had sent Chris a, a link to this. I was just wondering if you guys were ever going to allow like, snowboarding up there. No. Why not? The mountain can't take it. For, yeah. for a reason. Um, the reason. Vermont mountains are very, very, very fragile. We get one yeah. inch of topsoil every 5,000 years, and your snowboards are just too heavy to go into our mountains. They did, well, they, the terrain really doesn't... The terrain really but, can't but it's, it's, it's been proven now, though, through many, many extension ports, which... I hope that it's I hope been you'll see that it works on snowmaking, but we don't. That have they don't know that they they take off. They do not take off more snow than skis. Yes, well, they do. They don't. There's no to... possible way. You have well, one edge. We're a ski area anyway, so forget snowboarding. But so the I videos, it. it's on my YouTube, and I, I forgot what it's called. It's called like snowboarding in Vermont and snowboarding. It might actually be called Liquor and the Timber Ridge video because that's what I called them, Liquor, and one was the Timber Ridge video. But anyway. Enough about that. Back to the, um, the the confrontation. So I was holding the camera, and my friend Eric Kurth, who was, like, 
part of our whole crew. Um, Airhorn for Eric Kurth, of course. <laughs> he he actually is the one speaking, but we just randomly ran into Betsy Pratt, who was like, I don't know if she's like the primary owner of Mad River Glen or whatever. Exactly, gunshots. Um, and she she was just anti snowboarding, but the lyrics she drop it drops in this video are insane. Like you have to actually go watch this because she talks about Vermont topsoil. We get like couple inches of topsoil every 5,000 years and your snowboards are too heavy to go into our mountain because there was this whole thing back in the day that, especially on the East Coast, they thought this one big edge, you're just buttering off all the good snow that we blew. And um, so that was like one of the things that skiers and, and snow making would hate on, I guess. You, you guys are pushing all the snow off the mountain. Um, but anyway, so she had this crazy stuff to say. And Eric was actually, he's really kind of nice about it. And he's like, no, I hope you understand that it's like, you know, we've only got one edge. You've got two edges on your skis. Like, how is this possible? And they're like, oh, go build your own resort. But so that confrontation itself was, I think at that time they'd already banned snowboarding. Another weird thing about this is Mad River Glen is actually the first place I ever snowboarded. We had like this stony guy that lived with my mom he was a roommate. He didn't. He wasn't like my mom's boyfriend. She rented out the room, but he worked at the um, he worked at the repair spot at Mad River Glen on Tuesdays. Like one every the first Tuesday or something would be like town hall day. You'd get to go off school and you could snowboard at Mad River Glen on the Bunny Hill. So I rode a winter stick at Mad River Glen on the Bunny Hill, which is kind of like now they don't even allow snowboarding, but. Um, so back to the whole banning thing, there was that incident in the parking lot, but apparently, I think it was the year after I moved out of Vermont and I made my, my way west to try to be a pro, uh, Jason King, I think it was, and Eric Kurth again, and maybe someone else had gone to Mad River for like confrontation, and maybe they dropped some F-bombs and just solidified the fact that Mad River will be like forever one of those handful of resorts that only allow skiing. And to those resorts, I'm like, have it. Like, enjoy it. Like, I don't, I don't get this whole, yeah, I don't get this whole thing with Alta and like trying to sue to get on the property. Like this almost comes back to what the Patreon thing I was talking about with like social media and people getting to hate and whatever. This is just a, a different version where people are like, let me on this mountain. And they're so angry about it. I'm like, I'm just going to go somewhere else and enjoy myself where I'm wanted. You know, you can keep Alta. Mm-hmm. So I think the skier snowboard beef's fun too. It's kind of fun that it still <laughs> exists and they still got the oh, what, like four resorts now, yeah. or something. Yeah, if, and the beef is real. Mm-hmm. And they don't like us, and it's actually I kind of I enjoy that yeah. the fact that it's it feels good because if that's our biggest problem that we're not allowed on a fucking couple acres of land, then it's well we got we got bigger problems than that. It's not very inclusive of them though, is it? Yeah, I mean, you should be inclusive but i don't think it's it's something funny i don't think everyone has to be inclusive like don't be a dick outwardly exclusive but yeah. like i don't know deer valley you want to ski around with no hat on and some sunglasses that's your deal it's funny that alta gets all the the heat about it and deer valley kind of well, because alta's the got the terrain that we actually want to <laughs> yeah, go on nobody really cares right. about deer valley yeah people the, alta skiers to tell you that's no good for snowboarders <laughs> <laughs> Too much traversing. They'll even yeah. say it doesn't even work up there, and yeah, it's not you, good for the topsoil. Nah, it's, it's not, not good, good for the topsoil. <laughs> it's bad for the topsoil. Yeah, I guess they let a snowboarder on a few years ago. The topsoil was ruined. Yeah, ruined. I heard. Yeah. <laughs> Still yeah. ruined to this day. <laughs> I mean, 
I wonder how many thousands of years it takes for us to get the topsoil up there. And all yeah. the snow was buttered off, too. <laughs> they had to close <laughs> the resort after. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Dude, that was Shut the stuff we the used to live. February. <laughs> I mean, you know, you remember, like, having to get certified to go on the hill. Yeah, and, charging us an extra 20 bucks you know, or People whatever. shouting knuckle dragger at you, like, ah. I'm like, bro, I put my hand down. Palm dragger. Knuckle dragger. Yeah. Patty kick it. Well, I want to talk about your guys' uh, relationship uh, blossoming because you guys spent a lot of time together in the early days, right? Good word, blossom. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well played, bud. Yeah, you think that's funny? <laughs> it's a hat reference potentially right now. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> conti- continue, bud. Maybe Paul can throw a little side, <laughs> side up for us. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I listened to to, uh, to Ethan's. He's had a few potties, and I did listen to um, actually the the one. I won't mention the name of the other cast, but I did, and I watched that one and this one, and uh, you know, I was listening for our little story. But I'll I'll tell my version, which was basically like it was a rainy day in March, maybe could have been January because those are the best January days back east are rainy days. And I don't know if it was some part of the resort was closed for fog or something, but essentially I was riding by myself, as I recall, and I don't know if I rode the lift up with Ethan or what, but we were like, oh, let's just session this bench. We sessioned this bench because that's what you did back in 92. And uh, we just hit it off, and then, um, I don't know, we exchanged numbers. It would have been 92, <laughs> huh? Yeah, pro- 92, right? Um wow. We went to a few contests, and then summer rolled around. I had graduated that year. I forgot. You graduated early, or you? I graduated a half year early. Half year early, yeah. yeah. So 90 would have been fall of 93 after I'd saved up a little coin. I pushed my way out. Um, my mom dropped me, didn't drop me. She handed me off to uh, this guy who was going to college in Crested Butte, who was a family friend, and I was going to get dropped off in Breckenridge. That was the hot spot. And that's where you need to go. So started driving across the country, talked to my mom. She was like, oh, Ethan called. And he said that he's going to move out that direction. And his brother-in-law, Mark Girardi, is already out there. Stepbrother. Step, stepbrother. There you go. Stepbrothers. They deserve air horns. Mark Girardi. Um, so, right. So. All this, all this weird stuff gelled with Ethan, and it was like universe just kind of meshing. And this is, I would say, this has been kind of how my life goes. Like I'm, I don't know, universe just meshes. I'm like on my way to Breckenridge, just gonna get dropped off. Now I got a spot to chill. Um, Ethan comes out. He comes out with like J one in the uh, the low or J three actually J three Jason Demaris in the um. The low S10. He had an S10 with a bunch of speakers in the back or something. So not appropriate for, like, moving a few guys from Breckenridge to Vail, where we actually ended up moving. We had to move to Vail because we couldn't – I think we couldn't find any place to live. Like, we could find a job in Breck, but the living was, like, had. And so we um, we were like, well, let's look in Vail, which was just over the pass, about 15, 20 minutes. And we all collectively moved there. I remember, like – We'd got the spot. Shit was mad cheap back then. It was 800 bucks for a two-bedroom condo in Avon, right outside of Vail. And we got that spot with, I guess, with Mark Girardi. It was Ethan and I, uh, Jay Damaris, and 
Did we have? Did Squid came out with us? Maddie L was with us. Maddie L was with us. We had like eight people or something in a two bedroom. I want to say. Yeah. So we to make it affordable. Yeah, exactly. Because it was dumb cheap. Like at one point, we had people up on couches and stuff, and it was like a hundred something bucks a month for the rent with utilities. But um, I wonder what that rent is now over there by Vale. Oh, so much right there in one of those condos. I bet seven grand a month. Yeah, it's like seven (laughs) grand a month. (laughs) Yeah. You but, have to pay a thousand a per person now to live eight people in a two bedroom. Yeah, I don't know if they would allow that. But so, yeah, man, we like that's just the beginning of our path, even because then when we moved into that spot, that's when you know we're living so deep. Ethan and I actually shared a bed at that point. It was like a queen size, and we built like a little four by eight. We sheet. talking nocturnal emissions or what? <laughs> emissions? No, there was, <laughs> no, no. There, was, there was three of us too because we built a little. Thing on the bottom too, yeah. where Maddie L slept. Oh, so. got it. Yep. Yeah. So there, yeah, there was three because we built a platform over our feet that was like raised up, maybe about a foot. Maddie L slept there, and I think Ethan had records. He liked to DJ. Maddie L was big DJ um, out of Burlington, which had a crazy DJ scene in general. And I was into DJing, influenced from the whole Burlington scene. But so we're in this little this little room in this condo. But we had like this walkthrough closet that was two-sided walkthrough into the bathroom and our little bedroom. Um, so in the walkthrough closet, we put the turntables and the records. And so we had like this bathroom, DJ booth, records, sleep zone. And, you know, many, many hours were spent like... I think we even had some linoleum in the family room for some breakdancing. Oh, go with the two. We had forties. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah, it's good times back then. So at one point, clean we, living. We had uh, we had BDP on the wall in um, Christmas lights. It was the breakdance posse. We got into breakdancing for a minute. We all went over to Walmart. We got like knee pads and some jumpsuits, and we were breakdancing on linoleum in between the four couches that were in the living room that everyone slept on. Yeah, can we recreate this scene? <laughs> I'd like to see both. I'd like to see that. Yeah, <laughs> it was so sick. Great visuals of buds just going. You Some know, good breakdancing going down too. Matty L was kind of nice with it. Well, let's uh, yeah. let let's transition back into real quick with snowboard stuff. Uh, how you how did you get sponsored? Were you sponsored at this time? And who was your first brand that sponsored you? Right. Yeah. So um, I was riding for Original Sin, and they. They were like this super rad company that was an offshoot of Dina Star, so some people didn't like that. But it was a whole, it was like a separate entity. And Original Sin was like way ahead of their time with graphics and shapes, um, and some really amazing people worked there. Like uh, it was actually this guy Dan Sullivan who brought me in. He was um, Dan was a ski school instructor. I actually ski school instructed or snowboard instructed at Sugarbush when I was in my teens and with Dan. And then he became this rep for this brand that was going to happen, which was original sin. And so they were my first sponsor. Um, Dan went on to be a major player in Rome snowboards and Chris mask, who was another key figure at original sin. He went on to work, I think over, he was doing red stuff for Burton and, uh, then you had Herb George. Herb George was like the creative head. He's over at Globe now. Um, so all those guys, shit. Now that I'm thinking about it, we had George Cavalla too, who's he's at six eight six now, I think, and he was, you know, one time uh, photo editor at Snowboarder Magazine. Um, so the crew was crazy at, at Original Sin, 
And, you know, like I was saying, they they were kind of ahead of their time where we were, I say we, but it was Herb that brought in like Thomas Campbell, Phil Frost, uh, Dave Aaron, these skateboard artists that were doing doing stuff in New York for Zoo York and other cool brands. And he brought those guys in onto our stuff. Um, but it wasn't well received. Like it didn't blow up. But then a few years later, it seemed like other brands started doing that stuff. But so, yeah, Original Sin was like the first sponsor and they were the ones that were like, you should you know, move out to Breckenridge. Um, you know, they gave me a little bit of support. It wasn't like I had any money at that time. Like I basically, I think I had 1500 bucks that I'd saved up over the summer before I moved out, you know, kind of alongside Ethan. Um, but I did have that little sponsor. I think they, they ended up flowing Ethan boards too for a bit. So we're, you know, we're kind of like first board sponsor. Yeah. Yeah, bud. First close threat. Like the guy I'm sleeping next to is also riding for my board company <laughs> that I'm riding for. <laughs> we used to sleep together. Yeah. Now, I got to ask because, um, you know, talking to Mikey LeBlanc, doing my research, talking to some people, a lot of people were bringing up the Misty Flip. Right. Now, rumor has it that you are the inventor of the Misty Flip. Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess it's controversial. But that's my trick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know how it is. It's like, uh, I don't know. Like, who's ever been the first one to actually really do something? You know, sure, some people are like, oh, I documented this. This is the first time it's ever been done. But I don't know. The universe is like this whole vibe thing where it's like someone else probably felt that vibe at one time or another. But so I'm I'm not going to claim that I invented it. But essentially... I wasn't aware that Peter was corking sevens, Peter line out in the Northwest. Uh, the only thing I was aware of was that apparently Stevie Alters, who should get a really big air horn. Um, <laughs> Stevie Alters was doing these cork back threes and I was filming with Whitey at the time. And he was like, Stevie's doing these cork back threes. Maybe you should try one. And just the way I did it, how much I tucked it just kind of went five right away. And then, it was actually um, the, where the name came from is that Whitey had a sequence. It went into Blunt Magazine, and no one was doing that. So they're like, well, what do you call it? And this just, I'm like, oh, well, what, what am I going to call it? I'm not going to call it like a Goulet flip or something. And, you know, coming from Vermont and the whole VTSP crew, <coughs> um, they used Misty a lot for stuff that was like cool and different sort of. So I'm like, oh, we'll call it the Misty flip. And that's like basically how it goes. It's like rippy flip, chicane, any other flip that someone's done where it looked a little different than something else that someone's done, and then they called it something. Well, it's like you're the first game. one maybe that had it documented. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, doing like taking a McTwist to the free riding, and so it was different, I guess. So yeah, exactly. And that's I mean that's what it is for me. Like you know I'm I don't know. I've never claimed to invent it. I wasn't like, I'm going to set out to make a trick and this is going to be my shit. And then anyway, the only people that used the name Misty Flip up until like five years ago was like rollerbladers and skiers who weren't even Misty Flipping because you can't Misty Flip on something where you're going like in a straight line. You have to be standing like a skateboard or a snowboard to Misty Flip. It can look the same. Um, 
With the skiers have it misty flip? Yeah, skiers were misty flipping, rollerbladers were misty flipping, scooter kids. Everyone was doing it except the snowboarders. I still hear people call it misties. Right. Still hear well, it it's misties. coming back around now. Yeah. I feel like in the last five years, people are like, oh, it's kind of misty this or misty that. And, um, interestingly enough, you know, I was watching one of the hundreds of podcasts you guys have, and it was with um, Trevor Graves, and he had the misty cam. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and the misty cam comes from that same thing. Yeah, it's same like, thing of brushy. Like there was, we, we had sugar bush. We had the misty woods because brushy and those guys had like a condo up there, and so they would, you know, go get misty all over the place. I'll tell you, misty flip. You know, after hearing the story, great name. That's a good name. It's a great name. There's a lot of kind of bad names for for tricks out there, but there is for sure. Rippy flip, bad. It is just weird, though, if you had all of a sudden, <laughs> if in Blunt Mag, you're all Goulet Flip, that would right. have had a different, different mm-hmm. it would have yeah. hit differently. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like some Andy McDonald's shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Love it. Well, like, then. The Ollie Oop, you could have went that with Ollie Goulet, but that seriously. wasn't your move. Yeah, that would be the worst. That would be the worst. I did see you going Ollie Oop. I did see you in, I can't remember which video I was watching a bunch of your old, I think Warriors. Yeah. You did a switch Ollie, Ollie Oop McTwist. Yeah, Ali McTwist. That was fucking sick. I don't know if people were, that might have been a NBD at that point, maybe. No? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I didn't. I don't know how many other people I saw doing Ali Switch McTwist, for sure. Well, people just weren't doing that shit back then. People weren't really calling NBDs back then either. Right. Kind of, a lot of stuff was just an NBD, maybe. I, I yeah. want to talk about, I want to talk about equipment back then, because this is cool. I think that the, the boards that you guys were riding back then was nothing like it is today. And, uh, you happen to have that OSIN behind you. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be stoked if you kind of broke down exactly how that thing was set up because it looks like a freaking Frankenstein binding there. Right. Too. Should I grab it and pull it over here? Yeah, yeah. Bring it, pull okay, it over okay. here. Yeah. Dive under here. Yeah. I'm in frame here. Yeah, you're good. All right. So this thing is like, uh, this is baseless bindings and it's kind of, this is like a retro version so Tech Nine had baseless bindings back in the day, um, and I made these at Home Depot in like 2005 just for some novelty. There's actually a um, 94 OSIN with Thomas Campbell graphic, but you can see here um, this is how we used to do it for just to get your stance even, whether you did baseless or not. If you wanted a nice wide stance, 22 or more, you had to do this T bolt thing. So you basically like you drill through. You countersink a little bit, and then you've got this. Um, they used to call them sex bolts or T bolts. You, you know, goes in from one side, male side goes in and uh, pinches it all together, holds the binding onto the uh, onto the board. And this one's just it's tons of fun because you feel like the ripples of the snow, and it's just it's a cool, playful thing. But ultimately, I think it just led to foot pain. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, this is uh, baseless bindings. This is what we had to deal with. I remember, man, I got like the, the coolest new like one of five sample of the new OSIN board and T-bolted up a 24-inch stance by mistake. I'm like, fuck. Just oh, two just, big stance. You just got to T-bolt it down a little bit more and just like let the snow come up through the holes. Yeah. Yeah. You ever mount that thing and take it out for a spin these days? Um, I haven't in a while because this one, I want to say it's like base high, so it rides kind of crazy. But... Um, yeah, it's certainly, you know, you throw a couple boards in the in the trunk and go up to Brighton or go Take up to Woodward and yeah, especially at Woodward like you could just cut a couple laps, throw the board to the side, grab another one. 
Yeah, that looks like a fun one. Like that, I look at that snowboard. You know, it's cool when you look at a board like that. Like that makes me want to go snowboard. So that shape and this, the, yeah. Spot. See the the flat kick on the nose. It's a double flat kick, and uh, it just is so fun. Like you could lock into backside tail slides on banks, mm-hmm. where it's like you just hit that that flat spot and you just actually tail slide mm-hmm. like just straight. Yeah, at no, a 90, and it, yeah, it just locks in. feels super fun. You see a lot of the older videos, you see, like, nose blunts, like, on the snow that are vertical and tail scrapes where they're really steep with the steep nose and tail, and I just think that that, you don't see, you don't see it done like that anymore mm-hmm. with the way right. the boards are made. Right. Well, you almost can't with the, with, like, the reverse camber stuff. You can't get back that far because you're in no man's land. You're just going over the back, mm-hmm. right? So, but it just bends, and so you're, everything just bends, but I don't know. I like camber. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Bub's Naturals. Now, what is Bub's Naturals? So they're a company that makes all kinds of products, but the one that I like the best is their collagen protein powder. Now, I like to take this, mix it in a smoothie. I take two scoops, throw it in a smoothie with some blueberries, banana, almond butter, some chia seeds, uh, some, some uh, oat milk, mix it all up. You got yourself a great smoothie. And the thing that's great about it, with two scoops of collagen in there, you get 20 grams of protein. And as you get older, your body kind of loses its ability to synthesize this protein. So you got to get it in the system if you want to keep snowboarding when you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. If you want to be 110 and still be able to make twist, or just turn down the hill for that matter, you got to take care of your body. So that's what's cool about Bub's. Uh, it's a company that comes from the world of snowboarding. So, you know, snowboarders for snowboarders here and you're supporting a great brand. 10% of all of their profits go to charity. So if you want to take care of your body, head on over to bubsnaturals.com. Use promo code bombhole for 20% off. Again, bubsnaturals.com, promo code bombhole for 20% off. I usually go through about two of these jugs a month. If you're getting a lot down the gullet. So again, bubsnaturals.com, promo code bombhole. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Granite Towers Equity Group. It's Dan Breezy's company. He was episode 71 of the bombhole. He's a friend of the show. And if you're looking to invest some money, he's got a great company for you. So here's a couple words from Dan. What's up, everybody? Dan Breezy here with Granite Towers Equity Group, here to talk to you a little bit about investing. During my snowboarding career, I made some pretty stupid investments and put a lot of my money in IRAs and life insurance policies, and I soon realized these investments were not going to move the needle. So in 2017, we founded Granite Towers Equity Group, where we buy multifamily apartments. We come in and add value to every deal we buy by upgrading the property's interior and exterior, and you can invest right alongside us. You don't have to go out and learn it all and manage your deals and become a professional investor. We've raised just under $100 million in equity and have 2,100 units under management in the Dallas, Texas, and Nashville, Tennessee market. And we invest in every deal we buy. Every single deal will have skin in the game. So direct message me today on Instagram to learn more. My Instagram name is at Dan Breezy. That's at D-A-N-B-R-I-S-S-E. Or send me an email, dan at granitetowersequitygroup.com. Thanks. Well, Ali, I'd like to know how your career went from maybe just getting OSIN boards to just, I'm not going to say blossom again, but taking off. How did your career take off 
from kind of rep rider or flow flowing boards to, you know, making a career. Right. Yeah. So, um, again, kind of how I was saying before about universal stuff, just meshing when we ended up in Vail, that was just the exact right spot to be. And, um, you know, we met Adam Merriman and J2 and Ninja J and these guys that were already doing stuff. And, um, they were linked up with photographers and they were linked up with Whitey and Whitey arguably is like the guy that made it happen for me because he put me in his videos and he, I think got me my first, first clothing sponsor too. Um, so that's where things, you know, things started to just move quick. Like we moved fall of the winter, 93, 94 to Vail and you know, by 90 spring and 94, I was established with my goggle sponsor, my clothing, like everything was going kind of good. And I was filming with Whitey and I had been in, I guess the first one I was in, he used to do like a six month project. So you'd have like a winter project for, a, for video, um, which is what Whitey did of course. And I think it was caffeine was the first one I was in. Um, that kind of lined right up with like Misty Flip coming out in Blunt Magazine and stuff. Um, and then I was in almost every one after that, except for I'm trying to remember. There was one I missed where I'd like I'd been injured, and then my style was whack, so I didn't get on that in in that video. But that was when it was like a six every six month one, so it was kind of no big deal. But Vale was just the spot, and you know Todd Richards and a bunch of heads were over in Breckenridge when the half pipe would get cut everyone would come over and be big photo sessions. We were filming lots of lumber. Um, Beaver Creek and Vale had just logs like crazy. And this, you know, logs as you probably heard in, you know, from Ethan before, like it's just, it's this weird occurrence in that area of Colorado. It's not as prevalent in any other areas or just where Aspens are. And these, these big Aspens bend over. And so all this stuff, you know, was just there to shred right in Vale. And so work was getting done and the career was moving forward. And, uh, so that brings us to like fall of 94. So, you know, I've been out of the house about a year fall of 94 original sin was like, okay, we're going to give you 1500 bucks for the winter that you can do whatever you need to do with. And I was working at subway and my plan was like, I think I was going to make it till like November. And then I was going to, quit for the winter and just snowboard and see how things went. And I don't know, I, maybe I got fed up of the tuna fingers or something from pay, making too many six inches, but, um, I quit early from subway, maybe like late September, took that 1500 bucks and never looked back. Like, I think I bought a car from, from uh, Ninja J for like half of that. And then the rest of it was going to be divvied out over like rent and probably sell some boards or something. But, um, Hundred dollars a month. That's you can fifteen hundred can go a long way, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, back then, right? I think my my monthly nut from like my 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 house, the you know my living zone and my food was I want to say one hundred twenty five. No, one hundred twenty five a month is crazy, but it was like twenty five bucks a week for food. Nothing. It's two hundred bucks a month. Dude, yeah. you were living cheap. I remember Ali would go get like chicken legs for the week or whatever oh, yeah. cook them all up at once and just be focused on his snowboarding eat chicken legs every day right yeah i mean it was that's what we were doing it was all about snowboarding 
would scrounge change together from like I don't know. He probably spent more money on beer than or food, probably coffee. My yeah. favorite thing was to go to this place called the um, was it the Daily Grind? No, the French. What was it? The French Cafe. Uh, and it was right by the gondola in Vale, and you could go there, and they would pour you like a soup size styrofoam of coffee, and you get that sugared up right, and then we would jump on the gondola and ride that thing up and start the day, and that was the most important thing was some good coffee, hit the slopes, and then whatever else we did, you know, go wash some dishes, go to sleep, do it again. But I quit all that shit, yeah, in 94, and and then the universe, I guess, took care of me until it was like 2005. Yeah, it's a long career. Yeah, it's pretty long. I mean, it's a le- run. Yeah, you look great. at guys, some guys now, and like you know, arguably, you could say Mikey is still doing it. Um, you know, he, not necessarily a sponsored, paid athlete for that whole time, but JP now people have time. yeah. JP maybe has got the longest in the world. Yeah, of careers. Yeah, yeah. JP and Jeremy probably because Mikey took a lot of years in between off, where those guys just went hard the whole time, right? Yeah. But, yeah, 10 or 11 years for a pro snowboarder was good at my age. I want to talk about that because I was watching all your parts when I was doing all this research, and it's interesting because you watch the early stuff, and it's like big-ass stance, short board, baggy pants, and then your setup switched to, like, a little bit narrower stance, bigger board, it looked like. And I don't know. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so I think actually what I was – in a whole, what I was chasing actually is kind of what Holden achieved later. I just remember like in, I don't know, it was maybe 97 or something. I really liked the way Ninja J's style looked. He he wore Sessions gear and he's a little taller. It was maybe a little bit more tailored. And so it just, it had this look like you you weren't like squatting down. You weren't this like weeble wobble in oversized clothes anymore. And I was trying to, I was hunting for that. And what I did was I brought my stance in to 17 inches. Which just seemed crazy, but it, it didn't change my shredding at all. Like I, you know, tweaked the same. I just was a lot more narrow, had a lot more nose and tail. Um, and then I, you know, came back out because you know during that time, like you know, you had like your JP, your Unink, your Jeremy Jones. You know, pretty wide stance guys. And I'm at like 17. They're at like 22. But I don't know. I I guess I. I was just chasing, I'm always kind of chasing a style and that was trying to get the overall appearance of where, you know, of myself to where I wanted it to be, I guess. Yeah. Solid. I was curious about that. Misguided though. So you should have tailored my pants. (laughs) No, I love it. So going back, you know, you had the Colorado years kind of sharpening your teeth with the early whitey kingpin productions, uh, getting your foot in in a pro career. And then you eventually moved to Salt Lake, right? Yeah. What year was that? Yeah, so that was 98 when I landed here in Salt Lake. And, um, you know, it was it was my girlfriend at the time had wanted to move to somewhere that was going to be more city. And obviously Salt Lake's like the only place you can be where you're actually in the city and the mountains are actually close. Um, I don't care what you say about Denver or Seattle or Portland or something. Or, I don't know. Anyway, so we, we ended up here in Salt Lake. And, um, again, it was just, it was weird. It was again, super universal. Like I was here for a year and then almost everyone from Vail came to Salt Lake. You know, it was Mark Frank, Ethan Cole, like all the, the Vail crew, J two, 
Everyone except for the old Vale heads, like Merriman and the other guys that were, um, they were panickers. But anyway, so we we all moved uh, here to Salt Lake, and Salt Lake was, again, the Mecca, right, where we were actually, Whitey had been here established. Brighton was going off. All the swimming pool, the diving board, the roughinator, the... MFM jump. Right, the MFM jump. That used all to be my them. jump. All three... MFM jumps. They used to be my jumps. Ollie Goulet jump, but then uh, it turned into MFM jump. MFM right. came and took it. And took it was actually the Misty jump before that. Right. So, so much shit was just happening, like, side country, like crazy. And then, of course, handrails were, were hitting. And so I I moved here to be close to the airport because I was traveling a lot. In those few years when I was getting bigger in Vail, I was going to the airport all the time to fly out over two mountain passes. You know, it's like driving from Vail over those passes to Denver is like a nightmare sometimes. But so that, you know, that was the whole thing was to be close to the airport. And I never left Salt Lake once I got here, just slept in my bed. And it was, the scene here was insane at that time. Like everyone was a pro snowboarder. There was like five snowboard ski, pray for snow nights. You'd go out to at the bar and 200 people everywhere. And we had the best house parties and uh, yeah, but we also snowboarded. And it, and this was that spot, and so, and and then I've stayed here ever since. Obviously, like, I mean, the listeners don't know, but I'm like right up the road from the bomb hole. My wife's always giving me shit because I'm always lingering around here because it's like it's like five minutes down the highway when I can find it. I don't overshoot the exit. <laughs> well, I wanted to go back talking about tricks. I want to get into trick nerd stuff because this is fun to me to talk tricks. Because going back, funny as a kid, I would watch your parts and stuff like that. And I was on the East Coast, so I was more focused on the rails. And it's so wild to watch the stuff that stuck out to me now, revisiting how well-rounded you guys were. You guys are jumping off cliffs. You're doing big chicanes. You're doing switchback threes and holding the grab. And, like, especially the early – that was the one thing that stuck out. was, like, in the early days, you were the first people I'd see go out and do a switchback three and, like, really tweak with your head and and yank onto the grab and dude you had you know backside rodeo sevens you know like all kinds of these uh, these incredible tricks that um it, it have aged well I'll say um what was the what was the thought on being like uh, an all-terrain vehicle and just shredding everything in front of you right i mean i think that just comes from the era that we grew up in which is just that you know we came from like Craig Craig Kelly's and you know, Jeff Brushies were more specialized or like Sean Palmer's, you know, guys that you just, that's what we did was we wrote everything. Um, and that, I think that's a little bit weird now, you know, how specialized some people are. Cause I'm like, what do you mean you're going to graduate to the back country or like, I get it. Cause the level's super high, but at the same time, I mean, everyone shreds everything ultimately like the back country slayers, maybe they don't touch metal cause they're scared, but uh, you know, metal slayers touch back country. But anyway, um, yeah, so that just kind of, you know, the, the influences, the early influences of what drove me to be sort of diverse and the, you know, the skateboard background and then, you know, the, the whole thing of that time in early snowboarding was grabs, tweaks, and then later holds. I mean, during my time, there's a lot of sort of what I would call touch and go, right? Like, you know, throw a nine, you're just going to like tap it somewhere. Hot hands. You got that. It's like, you got, it's <laughs> right. like, the edge, like your edge is hot. You right. grab hot it. It's going to burn you. It's going to burn you. <laughs> yes. The yeah. hot hands. And so, I mean, something during, I don't know. I'm, I'm like real particular about everything that I do and something that one of my focuses was like 
grabbing the board and holding onto it. Like in my mind, it's harder to let go and you know, your style is going to get weird, but if you just hold on, then your arms are quiet and you know, you got a nice long grab. I used to just, every time a mag would come out with a sequence, I would look at my sequence and I'm like, okay, how many frames do I got holding? And that was like a point of pride for me to have like more frames holding than the average person, I guess. Yeah. You actually thought about that. Yeah. That's cool. ab- absolutely. I'm like, that's a cool trick, but bro, you got two frames. You got to hold on for three next time or four yeah. frames. Yeah. I'm like, I got to be held from, you know, majority of the spin or whatever it is. Yeah. I love this. Let's, uh, let's talk about a couple other notables. Uh, Destroyer, you did a McTwist melon grab. That is a rare one. Like, I, I just love that. Nobody grabs melon on McTwist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that, that again, goes back to just the whole thing that where my mind is at is, like, everyone does a mute McTwist. That's, you learn it that way, so I'm never going to do that one. I'm going to do it, like, tail grab or melon, or I'm going to do something that, that's just not what you do every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. Another one we got to talk about. Uh, a little bit further ahead in your career, we're a little bit out of chronological, but that's totally okay. Uh tail blocks and nose blocks i want to oh, say sure, yeah. uh maybe destroyer i don't remember which video it is you do a nose block on the the wall at um uh, whatever it's called uh right uh across from snowbird there and then you also in moment of truth oh, the, alta do wall. the alta wall uh, yep. yep you do a nose blunt block on that like where you grab indie and nose blunt and then you do another block on a picnic table leaned up against a tree in moment of truth. Yeah. When I was going back and watching it in my head, I was like, these are, this might be, um, kind of early pioneer days of the block. Yeah. So those, cause I know, you know, Pat Bridges is a big holder of the block claim. Um, but I mean, everyone's been blocking cause it's universal. And I mean, shit, we used to try to hit backside tail slides and blocks in Vermont, of course. And then I've just, I've have always liked to try to incorporate that, um, you know, cause again, it's kind of skateboardy and, you know, trying to like on a quarter pipe, like come up and get a tail block backside 180 back into the tranny. You know what I mean? Like that stuff looks so simple and, and minuscule, but the feeling and the technicality of it rewards, you know, when you get it done, you're like, damn, that felt crazy good. Um, but yeah, so to your point, yeah, I tried to bring those blocks to somewhere where I could bring them where it was like, okay, you know, block up on a picnic table or like that nose pick on the alta wall. Um, you know, at that time, people weren't going to the top of the alta wall, so it was like acceptable. It was a cool trick. But it was. A, it still is a cool trick. I mean, it, it's fun, right? It feels fun. I don't know. I like that stuff. It's always good to have that stuff that makes you stand out in the parts, and that's right. important. Well, yeah, I mean, to that end, like, Again, all the, you know, the different things I think about, like when I was doing my snowboard thing, it was when I first started getting clothes, it was like, okay, now I got clothes. Now I can put together good outfits that make sense. And then I'm like, okay, if I wear different, these different colors that set off from the background, now I'm like, my photos are better than the other guy's photos, you know, how I appear in the photo because I'm more visible. And so, yeah, everything like that, how you, how you get creative, how do you present yourself? it all matters right at at to be at the top it's like i don't know i would equate it to like the podcast for instance right like people have asked me to be on other potties and i'm was disinterested i could care less but what you guys do is something super curated cool that like like damn what they're doing is awesome i want to be a part of that and that's that same thing like to be at that highest level or higher level like focus 
every aspect. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah, that was oh, yeah. Yeah. What uh, was that first clothing you were getting into? Uh, that was blonde or something. Um, so it was like I think they had two bland, two brands. There was Spare, oh, and yeah, it was under spare. Ezekiel. Ezekiel, which still exists, I think, in like um, I want to say Nordstrom styles. Oh, really? But they had Spare and they had Blonde as uh, clothing companies. Yeah. yeah, at first I was thinking it was Dub, but it wasn't. Yeah, we got to right. talk. I, I mean, we got to talk. That's dub. when your kits got memorable. Yeah, because right? that's. Got dub. I, I know, like I'm a Dub fanatic as far as just the brand and how it used to look and the logo and everything. Um, yeah, talk about. Let's talk about Dub. Yeah, Dub. I mean, Dub was you know kind of like I was saying when I was doing the spare thing. Like I had outfits now, but but then when Dub came, they came with the the cool colors that were obviously not. Uh, earth tones anymore which was super popular at that time so you had those rad yellows those oranges those grays those blues like baby blues and grays and those yellow pants were dope yeah i don't remember how i got on dub i want to say um my man doug protean was he was over there and and helped line it up um but there were you know there were good people on dub at the time i want to say marco was on there um gabe lynn was on there myself um trying to remember who else but, but uh, yeah the clothing was insane yeah yeah so good i was i just think of uh the ads too the ads the visual all the way right. across the board they had it and they always are in the like a lot of the jackets were like i don't know if they're called parkas but the jackets with no hood what is that what are the, that's probably like? a good way to call oh, yeah. it a parka yeah. yeah and they had the tall necks the tall neck with yep. no hood yeah such a good look like an anorak anorak yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the biggest bummer is that I saved like nothing. I sold it all, and now I'm like, shit. If I could find a pair of any dub actions in my size, it's always either too small or too large. Oh, really? Yeah. If you could find them, you'd I, rock yeah. them. I look at that stuff on eBay sometimes. It's good stuff. Well, we should get into a guest question. We happen to have one from none other than Mikey LeBlanc. Ooh, nice. Hey, Ali. What up? It's Mikey. Hi. Hey, so. You know, I rode with a lot of people over the years, but I always cite you as the person I trusted most to talk me down a line or tell me how fast to go on a jump or really just break down the situation in a way that was actually true. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's good. Just send it. (laughs) But you were like, no, it's two feet down. You go left four feet to pop off a 20 foot cliff and you, there's a tree in your landing, but you got it, blah, 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 and the snow's good, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I always appreciated that about you. We had a lot of good days, um, and I wanted to hear how your calculated skills develop because I feel like you're one of the most calculated people I knew snowboarding, but also you had this element of looseness, which made it super sick. Anyway, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, Ali, love you, buddy. Nice, yeah. Man, Mikey is just such a rad dude. You guys already know. Um, anyone that doesn't know, they should check out Mikey and should check out the – you guys had a potty with him, I don't know, like six months ago. Should check it out. Maybe a year. Yeah, yeah maybe a year. Maybe a year and six months. Feels like the other day. But, um, yeah, so, Mikey, thanks thanks for the question. Much love to you, man. Um, yeah, I love – I'll drop over to Mikey's house sometimes for coffee and chatty Cathy styles in the morning, you know. So he was talking about, yeah, me guiding him off of stuff and I guess my calculated approach. And yeah, I, you know, I really appreciate that 
that that's how he feels about me because that's, you know, obviously that's what you would want to do for anyone. Um, you know, you we're out there in the back country, like, you know, sometimes you, one guy jumps and the next guy hasn't necessarily seen the landing. He knows it's out there. And so you have to, you know, depend on your friends to, to guide you. And, um, I don't know. So I always try to break it down like that. Like, I mean, that's uh, again, you know, I'm super, I'm like very analytical. And so, you know, I'm going to, if you're like, what's this look like off the end of this? I'm like, okay, you're going to go five degrees, you know, more left than the last guy. And, you know, break it down so that you have a good idea. But I think it's funny that he brings that up though, too. Cause we've, you know, we, he and I would both joke about some photographers that we worked with that were like, <laughs> yeah, it looks great, man. Like it's blue skies. Well, is there a rock in the landing that looks like a rock? Yeah. It's going to be really nice in the air. You know, you're like, <laughs> bro, you're killing me right now. I'm not jumping. <laughs> Just basically send you off it at all costs to your body. But as long as they get the photo, they're happy. Yeah. I mean, I guess, Part of that goes to something that um, Chris Mask from Original Sin had told me, which is like, live to ride another day. And that was kind of like my mantra. You know, if you if, when in doubt, like you leave it out. Like if you're not feeling good about it or, you know, the guy's sketchy or like whatever, like live to ride another day. Like it doesn't matter if you get a, a sweet photo, bluebird background, and then you're out for months. So... Yeah, that's great. And the photographer's got his photo, and he's well, yeah. he's happy. They don't care. Well, the yeah. fur photographer does too. A lot yeah. of times. fur photographer. <laughs> they say in moto, you can't get fast in a cast. You know, it's kind of you can't get right. fast in a cast. Can't get fast in a cast. And they also say in snowboarding, you can't get hurt in the air. You yes. I mean? uh, they right. also also <laughs> photographers tend to say lights good, do anything. Do anything. Right. We used to yeah. say grab your tail and the checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> So many good, uh, yeah. what are these called? Antidotes? What? Uh, anecdotes. Anecdotes. Yeah. Anecdotes. Yeah. Anecdotal quotals. Quotals. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine if Twos was up there on the top of the run-in with you and Mikey, he would just tell you to go, too. Oh, so. so it, it's good. You know what's funny is, um, you know, people people that, like, are from the Twos era, right? They've seen Twos snowboard, or they've been close up with Twos. Like, they're like, oh, I don't know, Twos is sketchy. I trust Twos so much that I learned how to jump cliffs at Brighton by following twos. I'm like, okay, he knows where he's going to go. This may sound weird. I'm like, anything he can do, I can do. So like, I trust, like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go five degrees to the left of where twos went. And then you know you got fine. a landing. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I, you know, it's like, anyway, I trusted that like we were going to go the same speed and he had skills, but I also was like, you know, if he's going to jump off that cliff, I'm just, I need to go. Five degrees to the side. So you just follow them. Yeah. And that's because, you know, when we were in Vail, like you see your landing. All you have is flat cliffs or jumps and you see your landing. And you get to a real cliff, you don't see your landing usually. I mean, I'm more afraid of being on the edge of the cliff looking than jumping. Yeah. I'm, I don't like to look. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So. It's interesting hearing a lot of the people I talked to yesterday mentioning that you're very calculated. That was a word that came up a bunch of times. Huh. Um, how do you think you learned to be so calculated? Is it the way you look at the mountain? Do you just is that the way you are? You think in your human nature? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've noticed that, like my mom, my mom had a lot of skill and not necessarily where I get my calcul being calculated from, but she always had a way that she did things. And that was the way, right? You, you tell the people that this is how you do it. I find myself doing that 
because I know a lot of things and I learned a lot of ways. But so, you know, anyway, the, that whole like, this is how you, this is how it goes. This is the way like I've absorbed that a lot. And I, I try not to like push that on people, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things like you're born with. Right. And that's, it's what I've used. It only seems to be good for passion, but what I've used for my athletic endeavors and my passion projects, like it still hasn't turned me into a millionaire from, from being calculated, but um, at least it, it helps me get where I want to go. You know what, buds? What do you think it's time for? I'm thinking uh, name that video part. Oh, boy. Here we go. Yes. Name That Video Park is presented by Woodward, particular Woodward Park City here in Utah is great. It's like a 15-minute drive up the canyon, and you're snowboarding. It's great for us when we, we can do a podcast, and then, you know, say it's 5 o'clock, cruise up there, ride for an hour, get those reps up, quick laps. Reminds me of the East Coast, just small small hill snowboarding. You're not going up to the mountains. It's not a 10-hour ordeal, which is what we love about it. Uh, now here in the summer, they got mountain biking. They got airbags. If you want to learn how to do a backflip, uh, I saw Alexanders did a bunch in the airbag and then got absolutely annihilated trying one to dirt. <laughs> so that was great. Uh, they have an indoor skate park with air conditioning. Nice. So if you want to skate in the hundred degree weather, it's one of the only places. I saw Sheckler was there recently, destroying that place. Uh, Lizard King, all kinds of pros ripping through their Tyson Bauer Bank. So uh, their skate park's incredible. You can learn how to do flips into a foam pits. It's a freaking great playground. If you're a kid or a grown adult like you, Stony Buds. Yeah, just like me. I did a shoot there this year with uh, Jaden Smith, Will Smith's son. Watched that kid do his first backside 180. And uh, very exciting time. Sean White and Jaden Smith at the top of the mountain all at one time together. And uh, Sean White actually said, I like your rolling karate kid. It was kind of a funny moment. Wow. You see, it all happens at Woodward. <laughs> so if you're in Utah, be sure to check out Woodward Park City. Ollie, how are we feeling? Confidence level zero through ten. I'm gonna go with a nine, hoping for some, you know, meatball, big meatball in my direction. I Chris can't. has been known to throw ball meatballs around. This one, I don't know that this is a meatball. I kind of, I kind of hard on him. I did. I kind of threw him under the bus, maybe, but I think you can get it. We'll Depends see. on the era, I bet. Here yeah, we go. See. Here we go. Fuck. So. Quality, <laughs> quality song right there, though. I'm like, this sounds like the Zoo York skate video, but uh, man, you were. Well, what kind of hints do I got on? Okay, first of all, you were in the video. Okay, I'm in the video. That should be a, that's uh, a big one. right. So it's a, it's a whitey. Obviously. It's whitey, right? Is this this is like Bozong? You got it. You got it. Okay. okay. So nice. that's uh, Bozong at the skit where they're by the trash cans, right? And they're playing dice, okay, and he's got yeah, the big yeah. gear on. Yep. Wow, yeah. Congrats. Okay. That was impressive. So that right, that must have been like brainstorm. Uh, that was uh destroyer. Destroyer. Yeah, so okay. you won. What, what you got there Bro. is a Yeti bag. Shout out to our people over at Yeti for uh getting us dialed in with these. Oh, yeah. I think they're called uh carryalls. Carryalls. I, I think that's a carryall. European carryall. Oh, and then yeah. uh, inside there, we also have a bunch of bombhole goods, oh, which are available where buds. They're available at bombhole.com. That's true. We uh, also got some slow tide goods. Yep. There. We got slow tide towels and blankets, uh, bombhole branded. couple cool things about slow tide. Uh, you know, they make beach towels. They make all different types of stuff. Uh, a lot of it's sustainable. Every product is 100% sustainably and ethically sourced. It's made out of quick dry material. 
They have artistic prints. They got all kinds of cool collaborations. And we're offering a discount. If you're looking for that good present, you want to get a cool towel, you know, collaboration towel, head on over to slowtide.co and use promo code BOMBHOLE20. Again, that's BOMBHOLE, all capitals, 20 for 20% off of Slow Tide gear. Or you can find it at BOMBHOLE.com. Dude. Bros. Dude. Dude. <laughs> I'm hyped. Dude. I'm hyped on this gear. I've got to say, like, I was, uh, I was, like, when I noticed that the coolers were no longer being handed out, I was a little disappointed. I wanted the cooler so bad. But now you but, get the carry-all. But the Yeti carry-all. Side note, though, anyone that's got a cooler out there that wants to trade for the Yeti carry-all, I mean. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, hey, but, hey, I got gifts for you guys. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, because, uh. It's just the kind of guy I am. We like gifts. Oh, snap. We got we gifts. Like All gifts. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Love that. Let me, let Buds me, loves a good gift. I love a good gift. I'm kind of kind of a hoarder. Yeah. Pretty there. much anything you throw at him, he'll, he'll, yeah. he'll I'll take just, trash off the front. You're I'll pretty much, yeah, pretty much put it somewhere in my house, yeah. in the closet somewhere. Or. I, I put stuff. True story. I put some items in front of my house, put a free sticker on them. Guess who picked them up? Buds, Buds. dude. <laughs> <laughs> so. dude, dude. That was a good water cooler, dude. <laughs> Still got that operational dude at the crib. I'll probably sell that thing too on KSL Make for a couple fifty bucks. My wife would be so pissed. She's like, "You brought something else home." <laughs> I'm always finding stuff. What do so, we got? So this this one is for for Eastone, and I feel like when you guys did your episode, you said that you didn't have one of these as your Woo! personal. Describe what that this, thing is, buds, for the people listening. The old listening. school Tech Nine baseball jacket. Woo. Yeah, that, I think that's like V one version, version one, right? Yeah, here. that's a hitter. You used and, to rock uh, this too, dude. That's a smack. Dude, this is it, definitely dude. version one. I can tell by the label inside. Sick, dude. Yeah, so I feel like you said you didn't Let's have go. version one or something nope. like that. So this thought, is version one. This thought is, I'd bring this is a that. nice gift. And then, you, um, you know, not, not too, for like smells, brand smells conflict really or anything, but. I happen to know Chris is a big, oh, big this fan. Oh, for me, dude. So, I'm a wow. dumb fanatic. Wow. Look at this. Dude, yeah. this thing is so sick. We got a, for the people listening, it's a dub backpack embroidered OG dub print, black and yellow. Original. This is what we're going to, this is going to be the daily driver. Daily right driver. This is going to be my new daily driver. That thing's crazy too because it says sample on it. I don't, you know, probably never got made officially just so. The first dub yeah. backpack I thought it, ever. You know, that was something for Chris. I found it in my basement. It's dope. Thank yeah. you, Ali. I yeah, really appreciate absolutely. that. I'm going to rock the hell out of that. I appreciate that. Right. So we're still in Name That Video part. We actually are going to do part two. This is for the listener. Uh, if you know what part this is, comment on the photo of Ali on Instagram, when uh, on Bombhole's Instagram when this episode comes out, and that's where we pick our winner. Uh, here we go. Great song. Good good track. Oh, man. You know what that is? No. It sounds so familiar, though. When you tell me, I'll be like, oh, yeah, for sure. Paul, you can beep this out. It's a... Uh, That's... Huh. Yeah. I have to watch that again. All right. Um, thank you guys for playing. Name that video part. All right, Ollie. Well, you've you've uh, kind of lived through the changing of the guard of eras and snowboarding. You've been around a long time. Now, how would you say snowboarding has changed 
And is it better or worse from your era? I mean, obviously it's better, like in quality of snowboarding. Snowboard, the composition of the snowboards themselves even, um, but the riding, obviously, you can't deny the level that it's at. It's definitely insane. Um, But, you know, how it's changed, like, you know, back in the day when we were first in Vail, you were able to film on resort. You know, if you jump 16, 30 feet, you could call that something for the magazine. Um, You know, so it's not to say standards were lower because that was still like the best shit happening at the time. But as everything kind of progresses, it, it does progress. And I mean, you know, back in my contest days, like if someone did a back rodeo five to a rail, we were like, get the fuck out of here. But now if you back rodeo five to a rail, like there's a place for that. I'm not going to do it. I might not like it, but it, it's still rad. Um, and there's, you know, there's the place for it. But the one, one thing I do see though, is like with all the progression, people forget to check themselves. Like if you look at X games, for instance, like, you can't tell me that they're throwing stylish moves because they're not. They're grabbing their knee. They're, you know, going for one safety grab. Maybe you grab melon instead of mute. But people get caught in the cycle of chasing the next rotation, right? And then they want to complain about it. Like, oh, judges only, rota- or only you know, give you points if you do the, the 2560 or, you know, the 1890 or whatever it is. Um and I feel like I would love to see the athletes push back a little bit on that because the judges are going to do what the athletes do. And if athletes are like, you know, I'm going to back it down 360 or 180, but I'm going to do it like this nice, kind of like, um, you know, look at Sage, for instance, like what he did in the Olympics. You know, no one was doing, what did he do, like a double cork, bloody Dracula behind the back. Yeah. Like, some, you know, he did, did some crazy shit. But he didn't, he wasn't just like, I'm going to throw the millennial spin. Um, you know, and I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is like, I don't know. People should take responsibility for style and hold themselves accountable. And like, you know, Mark McMorris, like, I know he's got mad style. Well, but that, maybe he needs to back uh, down a rotation and drop that knee down. Or I, I don't know. Is it the bindings? Is it the boots? Like, where'd the style go? Well, I love that, and I'm going to play a devil's <laughs> advocate as well in that because I agree. So the 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 so if you're looking for a solution to that too, you have to look at when you get into competitions, you essentially have to make either a mandatory jump that's under 900 or under, you know, under a certain amount of spin. But when what that creates a problem with is people are going to say that that stops the progression of the sport, right? right? So so the issue is, like, if you ever watch, and I've said this a million times, but if you ever watch the guys that are competing and, and the gals, I don't just, everybody that competes, they're, watch them in practice. Their second run, you watch, you know, all of them do warm-up tricks. It is a beautiful. It's an unbelievable how good they are at snowboarding and how much style they have. It's just, in order to win the competition, yeah, spinning more scores more and and that's just something that for degree of difficulty so it almost to me like i'm gonna hijack and just give my solution i think that there should be um like at least let's say you have a four pack of jumps 
one jump is mandatory under 900. And Tor Gear can do a switchback five method on that jump and get scored higher than a back 18. Right. You know, and I right. think that that would be a really cool thing to see. I mean, so I guess that's kind of my thing. Like, I agree. Yeah. It's like once you get into competition, then it kind of goes a certain way. But to your point, like, you know, Torque Gear, Switchback 5, Method, like, thing of beauty that scores high, maybe better than a 1080 safety grab. Um, but what I'm saying is, you know, maybe you double dip a quad Japan. You know, but I don't think you go like, like what's next? Like, what was it? The Japanese kid did a knee grab millennial spin or something. It was like a 2497 or something. Um, but what's next? Like now you're just going to build a bigger jump and go True. further and spin more. Like, I think I heard you guys talk about it in all banged up or something. Like, is it going to be where someone dies because the jump has to be so big or because now you're doing a, you know, a nine cork something like I'm not hating on that I'm just seeing that like it it either goes to like this point where you have to die or it comes to somewhere where it's like this is a really nice quad cork Japan. Yeah. I don't know. Well it also it also makes the contrast makes you appreciate the other side of snowboarding. I think that mm -hmm. that side of snowboarding is going so I don't want to say aerial and gymnastic, but in a, in a way, it is. It is. It's. It's like if you're grabbing your knee, I'm it, done. Yeah, totally. But I'm gonna say I'm gonna say one thing. Su Yu Ming, you watch him or Red or but Su Yu Ming specifically, he did a an 1800 and pokes it. He grabs it by his back binding and his board is bending and it's tweaked, which is yeah. I gotta say is pretty fucking insane. If you ever watch uh, watched his run at the Olympics, but um, and then going back to to what we're saying, like you see at least I see in my circle of people that I snowboard with that they seem to be much more drawn to a well-executed grab. Uh, you know, look at, watch Blake Paul ride. And he doesn't, you right. never see him do even rarely a 900. Right. And he's just going off of cliffs and poking and looking good in the air. And, and I think that that, that like extreme push towards acrobatics is making people drawn more towards the beautiful basics. Right, bringing out the style. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we can hope for that because we, the new normal can't be knee grabs. Like, there needs to be a deduction. Yeah. I feel like if you grab the knee, like, I get it. You've got to get compact. Mm -hmm. But if, you're, if your go-to is, like, mute knee grab, then you probably need to just practice more. And that kid who's doing it perfect, though, is what Mark McMorris can't slow down because somebody's doing it right behind him. Right, like Sue Yu Ming. Right, yeah. I mean, it good, gets to be so like they all a, have to push themselves. It's a cycle. It's like the Hakuna Matata that you never wanted. Yeah, so that, I think those guys don't have a choice but to do what they're doing. Choose the back country. Ah, <laughs> uh, the back country where old pros go to die. That's so wrong. <laughs> That's a Justin Meyer quote. Yeah. <laughs> he did say that. Or what about the young pros that wish they could just just go there? They're like, oh, stuck here in this contest circle. Yeah. All I wish I could do is like slash some sweet backcountry. But I'll tell you, if you don't start doing it, it makes it that much harder to go to, right? That's why That's you true. should start well-rounded, set the precedent. I mean, specialize, of course, specialize in something. You got to be the best. I mean, look what you have to do in the half pipe these days, too. It's crazy. I wouldn't do that. Well, it's it's also envir environmental. Athletes. It's environmental. Like if you live in yeah. Minneapolis and you snowboard at Highland every day, guy. you're like, skipping the backcountry part because you're like dude i right. 
you know. And this if you live in Pemberton, BC, and you take snowmobiles up and rip pow turns all day, you're going to skip the rail guy, probably. Right. Yeah, you're definitely not going for a rail mission. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I don't know. I just, like I say, I would like, I guess I would like to somehow see a mix where you can still have snowboarding properly presented in a competition format with the style that should be mandatory where now we're like you to your point, like gymnastically, the style is not mandatory anymore. And now knee grabs are acceptable. And the only thing is like, did you spin and did you land clean? That's not really snowboarding. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like obviously the Olympics was a, it's not the heart of snowboarding, but you know, again, Olympics like great. People should have Olympics. Like should have it, but the judging was a Royal right fuck up now going back to but they uh, don't all grab knee right no they don't grab no they don't all not grab yet. knee and but yeah you're all not yet <laughs> not yet i mean no. seriously you can if you want to throw a millennial spin you probably have to grab knee what is a millennial spin yeah i'm i'm lost on that term myself over 20,000 <laughs> um, so i don't know so over 2000 i was again i can't remember the name of the kid that did it orange suit big jump so you mean lots of spins I, what, what was it like he was doing five or six. 21, maybe. Is it 2100? 1800, 2100. I forget. No, it's yeah. definitely not an 1800. Yeah, 21's the next one. Yeah, so 21. 2160. I always end up with the 1890. It's kind of a bad look. But, yeah. um, but anyway, 21. Yeah, maybe 2160. But I think he was calling it the Millennium Spin. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm was. lost. Like, it's like kind of like uh, the Skyhook, the Flying Tomato Coin. You just gotcha. kind of come up with a name. Got right, it. yeah. It's, yikes. See, that's another bad. Like, they could have called it the Misty Flip. Like, Misty Flip? Good. Millennial? Good name. I, millennial, I'm not rocking right. with it. It's like rapping about Instagram. Yeah, Millennial. Eventually, your rap is going to be not timeless. Yeah. Yes. Millennial Spin's not going to hold cold water later. Yeah. Well, one thing I got to ask talking about contests, what do you think about natural selection? Natural selection, I think, is dope. Um, I mean, that's like what I would say is what holds it down for real snowboarding where you've got real judges that are judging backcountry riding. And, I mean, honestly, watching that this past year was pretty insane. Like just the terrain that the guys and the girls are, are tackling and how they're, you know, the consistency. Because that's, you know, what people, the average person doesn't know. But if you've been out in powder or you've just snowboarded in general, like, I don't know, like, I have cool video parts. I didn't land those tricks every time I tried them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but so, you know, what they do there with natural selection, I think, is awesome. From a selfish perspective, I'd love to see, like, old man's wild card. Oh, like, like a, a vet class. Yeah, but, I mean, just not even, like, our own class. Like, I'm just, I'm, I don't snowboard a lot. If I don't have a reason, if someone was like, Hey, Ali, do you want to come and like be a wild card with like LeBlanc and some other old heads to show that you can still snowboard in this thing? I would be like, Oh, let's do this. And the, I guess the reason I say that is because it looks so fucking fun. I'll say this. I have friends that have ridden it that aren't top pros that are like industry people. And they say this shit is fucking huge, dude. Really? Yeah. Like, when you're there in yeah, person. Yeah. I don't know. When I look at it, it just looks so damn good. I'm like, that looks yeah. like pretty primo. I could yeah. be wrong. Yeah. But it looks pretty fucking primo. Like at, at Jackson Hole, like the last booter that they have that's sometimes good. It's like a it's like a diving board cliff of dreams. Yeah, that thing is incredible. Um but yeah, watching watching the guys shred that um is it's just impressive. The guys and the girls, like just watching that. And I think that contest format and the locations they've chosen and how they've put that together. It embodies snowboarding. 
Most definitely. What do you think about street? Do you think street contests? Is there a place for that? Yeah, I mean, always like, <clears throat> I mean, there should you know contests for everything, um, and I think that makes it fun. And I don't know, I always loved going to those, you know, like the rail contests, like the ones you guys did, like the the revival of the heavy the metal, heavy metal yep. yeah, right. So I went to like one of the first heavy metals um, that Red Bull did in Niagara Falls. Yeah, right? yeah, was it Niagara Falls? It was yeah. At like the, I think it was a library or a museum where there was all this stuff there, and they were able to have these different segments. And anyway, that, I mean that stuff is so much fun. And then it also is good for snowboarding to be able to bring it that mm-hmm. much closer to where people can access it. Because um, obviously, you know, otherwise it's happening in the mountains, or you have to like go search it out. But yeah, that, I think I don't know. All that stuff is fun, and especially seeing those heavy metals come back is is cool. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, one thing I would like, I'm just going to chime in one quickly on that is that I wish that, you know, when I watched the old ones with you guys, it was like all the top pros, you know, yourself, Scotty Arnold, Seth Hewitt, it was all the larger than life, John Cooley, you know, right. people that are big names at these things, Mark Frank Montoya. And now it's almost like the rail contest is reserved for the up and coming kid, mm. but the established video part guy doesn't, doesn't do them because it's almost beneath them or... You know, if I, if I, right. why, why I declined invitations, if I'm going to be totally honest, when I was a pro, it's like, if you don't try, you can't fail, right? It's like, right. If, if I don't, sh- if I don't try it, I can't fail. But like, and so I would love to see a contest where we got our Tommy Gesmes out there and we got like all the guys you want to see that are, and gals for that matter, that are, are like the top of their game, not just the up and comers, but like, you know, the people, the Jake Kuzik's, the Jed Anderson's, you know, right. yeah, yeah, it'd be fun to see a rail contest with all them like street league style or something like that. But yeah, I don't know what it is. Maybe they need to, they need more like a rider invite purse. True. You know, cause that's makes all the difference, right? You obviously don't want to get broke off for no money more than, you know, you don't want to look bad, but you don't want to get broke off for no money. Mm-hmm. And the amps are just going so hard at those things too. They, right. It's tough. Yeah, Am's always got to like make a name for themselves. Now I want to transition. We'll, we'll, we got derailed for a hot second, but let's get back into your career. And uh, I want to talk about your board sponsors because you started with Osin, and then where did you go? Yeah, from Osin. I mean, I don't know. Back in those days, like anything, you you want you're like I want that money. You know, I got to live. Pay me more. I'm worth so much money. <laughs> I don't know. It's a you know the always the struggle for that. Um, so I went from original sin to division 23 and at the time like peter line had been on division 23 it had kind of a cool vibe um mikey leblanc and i were actually on at the same time and that that was pretty cool but it was uh it was a little bit short-lived like it's kind of what got me into having a manager actually um was my i'd signed this contract that i thought looked good and after a few months they cut my pay in half and it was in the the contract like economic conditions which is like the biggest bullshit clause ever because anything that you feel affects you is economic conditions and you just cut your paycheck but so you know with division 23 i was on there maybe about a year uh because i I was just looking to, to get off there as quick as possible and they had screwed me by cutting my paycheck so i was talking to joyride and joyride was seeming cool it seemed like there was something there and they started giving me some boards to check out. And so I just started riding joyride boards and was like, you know, fuck these division 23 guys. Like they're not going to do anything anyway. And 
honestly, like, again, the universe, like, I feel like it couldn't have been better because everything I shot for revival and, and everything that mostly came out in the trans world interview that I had at the same year, this was like 99, I think when revival came out and trans world interview was all on joyride. So I just like sort of double dipped. I got paid by division. I rode joyride. Then all my shit came out in joyride. And I guess for those that don't know, like the snowboarding was very cyclical. And, um, so like you're, you're sort of building your content all winter and then stuff comes out when the magazines start flowing out in the fall again and your video parts come out. And so I had, you know, like 15 page interview in trans world. I had video parts, all this stuff on joyride, which just like kind of saved me in a sense. Cause division 23 was screwing me and, and then the whole joyride thing just rolled in and I got paid for all the work that I wasn't going to get paid for probably by division 23. And, uh, that was Joyride. Joyride was pretty short, too. I think I was on there about a year and a half, maybe two years. Um, and so the first year with them, we were developing my pro model. And then the the second year, basically, when the, my two sizes of pro model came out, I had already moved to Ride and signed a contract with Ride, which was like, uh, it's kind of like a dream come true, like big brand, solid brand. You know, your paychecks are going to come through. The product was good. Um, and so I just, you know, had made that transition kind of quickly while I was trying to find a home because I didn't want to be like jumping from sponsor to sponsor to sponsor. And But, you know, you got to keep moving. You got that short window of time to make that money. And um, so that was kind of the, the progression. But, uh, yeah, it was so, you know, such a short time on Joyride. But they allowed me to do some cool things and, and created some cool pro models that were like super, the graphics were driven by me and uh, you know, curated by my friends. I actually brought those. Um, we'll just throw them on the screen as you talk about them. That's probably easier. Cool. We'll yeah. just take a picture. So, so, so <clears throat> the Joyride stuff, I, I only actually ended up with like maybe two or three of these models myself because I had already started riding for Ride during this you know, as soon as these boards were basically hitting retail, but so I had the, the larger board, which I guess you'll see here on in the screen. Um, but I'll describe it for those that also are listening. It was the 155 size sort of backcountry model. And my friend, Aaron Hawkins had, uh, he'd come up with the concept of this, this graphic, which was essentially on the top is sort of like links, like a chain link, like, like a necklace link. And within the links were images of like inside my house and my car and, and just things that were part of my life. And then on the tail was he'd ha had me hand write like my, some DJ sets cause I was making a lot of mixtapes. And so, you know, I'd have all the, you know, the different record and the single and all this stuff written down. And so it's got like this whole DJ set on my tail. And then the bass he'd pulled uh, from a, Techniques 1200, which is a high-end record player that DJs use. He pulled a, a diagram, and it had this this weird fuse or resistor, and he just he'd put my name near it. And but the whole thing, he called it the schematics of life, and it was just kind of this cool curated board that graphically I thought was 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 pretty rad. It was anyway. It was my first pro model, so I was like, oh, cool. This is awesome. Um, and then the other one, which was totally like in line with my Audi fetish, I'd, I'd worked with, uh, Galen justice, sweet needles, good buddy of mine. And he 
had helped create a caricature of my Audi coupe, which is the, the Audi that I'd had modified. And that was featured on the base of the snowboard. And then the top sheet had this, uh, this wheel by this company HRE, which they make custom car wheels. And anyways, it was just like a deep dive into what I was into at that time. Wow. That was such a great description. Yeah. I forgot sweet needles did that too. That's dope. Yeah. Well, all this uh, car talk, we happen to have a guest question from none other than, uh, we'll call him Super Agent slash uh, Legendary Snowboarder Ninja. Nice. The ninja. Hey, Bombhole and Ali. <laughs> hey. Ninja here. couple questions for you, bud. Um, one, first one, who, who got you into Audis and when? And second question, do you wish you would have bought another house instead of that coupe back in the day? <laughs> right, classic ninja. Ninja coming through with the questions. Actually, so it was, um, you know, it was very much Ninja and J2 and Adam Ehrman that got me into Audis. They were, twos had like a wagon that was pretty, pretty well built and, Ninja actually got this Galant, which was a Mitsubishi, was a turbocharged four-wheel drive thing. And then I think Adam, he had the money at the time, so he had an A4, which was you know new car. But so, you know, those guys, basically their love of cars was the, the continuing catalyst. Like, as a young kid, I thought rally racing was cool. I, my dad had a an 88 Audi Coupe Quattro. So I had some experience with it. But it wasn't, my dad wasn't into cars or, you know, I wasn't, you know, beyond matchbox cars. It wasn't like a thing. But so it was really those guys that kind of pushed it. And, um, you know, like, I guess like you do when you're, when you're enthusiastic, like the first thing I did, because it was the first thing I could afford was bought a little car, uh, a Volkswagen GTI from Ninja himself. And that was my car. And these Volkswagens have like a hundred horsepower or something. So I'm like, oh, what should I do? I'll put a turbo on it. So then we spent like 10 grand putting a turbo on it to try to make it as fast as their Audis. And, you know, eventually I just end up buying an Audi and then buying the right Audi and then putting $40,000 into that. Um, but it, I guess it was those guys fault. Yeah. That's amazing. Part yeah. two of his question. Do you yeah. wish you had bought a house instead? Well, so I did buy a house. A second so. house. He said, he said, he specifically <laughs> right. said a second. Right. House. Yeah. So I, I mean that no, I no. I would like to say that like like my my current vibe with cars right now is that I I like to buy cars that are fully depreciated and sometimes undervalued and never lose money and only make money and do whatever I do with them. But you know if you have if you want a specific car and you want it a specific way, you're probably going to pay for it. And I feel like if you have the money, it's worth every penny because it's you know. Even if I'm going to sell it for twelve grand later, and it's worth thirty or forty grand now, I just, you still have to find that person to buy it, you know. And and ultimately, it's it's for the enjoyment. So I don't know. Not that everyone gets it, you know. People are yeah. like, why would you waste all that money on your car? And it's, it's like, well, your passion. It's a passion and an enjoyment, you know. And you have to just chalk that up. Like I'm, I don't do that now because also I'm, you know, got responsibilities. I got two kids. Like can't waste money on cars, but I can play cars just with a different, you know, different approach. I love that too. And I think there's two differences between buying a nice car to fill an insecurity or, you know, to fill some type of void and being 
really passionate about cars and loving cars and loving the culture and loving how do you mod it? How am I going to, what wheels am I going to put on it? How am I going to make it faster? Every little detail of the car gets tweaked. Like that's a whole different deal than, well, I'm going to go buy a nice car. So I, you know, fill this deep void that is unfulfillable. But yeah. uh, And I mean, like anything else, it's like a craft or, you know, it can be considered art. I think, you know, like I built my Audi with a very specific idea. Like everything I do, it's very specific. And I also wanted it to be in a car magazine and we achieved that. And that was when, you know, your car magazine, they don't just take everybody's car because you only put out so many mags. And uh, so, you know, I don't know. I I did this thing that I set out to achieve and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Well, so car culture was big in snowboarding back then because there was dumped and kitted. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That yep. was a little set. Is that Transworld? Yep. That was in yep. Transworld. Transworld. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Like the thing was, is this trickle of people that were into cars that, you know, infiltrated the mag. So like Cody Dresser went to the mag, Transworld Snowboarding. He was like, oh, we should start doing some thing on cars within the industry and I want to say my Mazda 323 rally car was the first kickoff of Dumped and Kitted, but I might be wrong on that one. Um, but Dumped and Kitted was the car being dumped down low, like on suspension, and kitted is like, you know, you put a body kit on it. And I, I want to say that I helped Cody, like, put that whole idea together. But he would allow me to do this thing called Ollie Disses Your Whip, which was kind of fun uh, because I'm super opinionated, even though I like to put out a, you know, positive energy mostly. I also like to poke fun at stuff and be a little bit of a dick. And so, you know, someone would have their car on and I would just try to say something funny about it. Like Peter Lyon had his Escalade with big chrome rims and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh man, it looks like. Master P has the same skin condition as Michael Jackson. Oh, no, it's Peter Lyon. Like, that's more of a dig on him than his car, but his car only had so many things wrong with it. Um, but anyway, it was just fun. And, yeah, there was a lot of car culture within snowboarding. And, I mean, I would like to say that, you know, I helped continue to push that on. Like, obviously, I got it from from Twos and Merriman and those guys and Cody, those guys that were already into it. And I continued it, but, you know, like I was saying, through my snowboarding and, you know, on my snowboards, and I was pushing hard all the time to try to get, like, the Audi name out there specifically because I really wanted to try to get that sponsorship or get some connection with Audi. And, um, you know, so I had, you know, the four rings on my board. I would, I've i got, you know, ride posters. I'm wearing an Audi hat. Like, I'm I'm putting it out there everywhere. And... uh but I wanted it bad and it never came to fruition because I didn't have like, you know, what Todd, like Todd Richards, he went to the Olympics. So now you, you're an Olympian. So you got that, that level, um, you know, to, to lean on. But, you know, I, just thinking about Audi and like the culture and the continuations of all that, like I got to hand it to, to Ken Block, who's like living my dream right now and, and really doing it in the best way because we both share this affinity for the early Audi, like the rally culture and what Audi did with four wheel drive and, and his whole, his whole new contract is like specifically older Audi cool stuff and then electric um, and electric's cool and all, but the things the Audis he gets to touch are like the ones that basically 
turned me on to Audi and car culture. And um, anyway, Ken, if you're listening, you know, give me a ride in one of your cars. Love that. Uh, going back, one thing that sp- uh, sticks out specifically on that was I remember, I think it's Brainstorm, you nose blunt or like kind of lip slide and lip slide fakie, uh, a concrete ledge. And they're so clear, the Audi logo on your board. And I think that was the poster. Oh, yeah. But I also think, uh, because I remember seeing that in the mags when I was a kid, too. But I also wanted to kind of talk about that, too, just as a transition. Basically, you know, um, you guys were some of the first, I would say, like, you, you know, in the Whitey videos, it was Mikey, you, and Whitlake were kind of the original guys I've seen sliding concrete ledges. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. That always stuck out to me like that above. Now I go back. I think the chicanes and the back rodeos and the switchback threes are the sickest. But when I was a kid, I remember being infatuated with you guys sliding down gritty concrete ledges. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I know, you know, from that era, like people are like, Oh God, you're going to jump on that concrete ledge. Like I'd rather jump on some metal or something, but it, I guess it never really bothered me. I mean, I just don't think about hooking my edges all the time. But yeah, that's that's interesting that you bring that up because I had almost forgotten about that, like yeah, the whole advent of concrete ledges. Even yeah, we waxed them up or what? I don't think we generally had to wax them. You're just jumping on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless they were like sticky. I mean, so like the the poster that Chris is talking about was from it was a pullout poster. I'm pretty sure this. So there was one. There was a ride poster where I'm like jibbing a concrete ledge and and. Um, twos has just slung me into it. Mm. But then there was a pullout poster in the, in my Transworld interview that was from a like decrepit house in Park City. And this thing was mad jagged. And like it was going to be a cool photo, but then you're like, how are we even going to, how am I going to do a trick on this that's not just like stopping because it was like conglomerate rocks sticking out. Um, but anyway, I just did like a 5 to like tail slide or something on it to make it work but but yeah gritty ledges not too much wax that you know nowadays people take the ledges and you take a a rubric you Mm -hmm. scrub them down then you go wax them and then you might even wait till it's cold enough and ice them Uh, now there's like a whole science to sliding concrete ledges especially in colder temp places you just ice that son of a bitch up and it's good to go but then going back to <laughs> your guys' is like that's what made them so cool is the, the, when you and Mikey were hitting them, it was like a gritty, like... Right. Yeah, they were like yeah. muscling them out pretty yeah, much. Like totally. Uh, whatever the ledge had to give them, they were taking it. Just survive. It's funny because when you talk about that, like, you know, the prepping, the prepping, and then I just think about people that complain about like, oh, we need to, let's rake the jump again. There's a mark in it. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, I got to prep this up just right. And then I just think about Mikey riding a toboggan, and I'm like... Bro, like, <laughs> so true. Detune, don't detune, whatever. Yeah. Just ride. Does it thing. really matter? It basically runs over everything. It's a snowboard. Yeah, true. What about, let's uh, talk about DJing, because I know you used to cut up some of your own parts. I was like, DJ culture was kind of right there with car culture around that time. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like it was big in snowboarding, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, DJs of some sort, but yeah. Coming, MFM. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah MFM. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like guys that Tarquin even before, Tar- yeah, that. Tarquin or like a Steve Blakely, yeah, Blakely, right? He was like Steve Blakely was like maybe the first big headphones dude yeah. to shred with big headphones. Um, 
he was he was actually he's the first big vegan he, shredder. He was like yeah, first big vegan shredder pro on barfoot, and he made um, the seventh year, which was like basically why I moved to Breckenridge. Mm-hmm. I was watching people jib stumps and stuff, but um, yeah, where were we going with that one? DJing, just DJing, like- yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I went off on a Blakely tangent. Um, yeah, so you know, coming from Burlington, Vermont, which had this really big reggae scene which also kind of generally has a big DJ scene. Um, I don't know. I found it really interesting because it's that whole manipulation of things. Like, you know, you can just blend one into another, but you could also, you know, make a whole new song in a sense by scratching in something or, you know, remix an acapella over an instrumental. Um, So I I just kind of liked it and just kept working my craft and working my craft and, um, you know, probably how it is with everything, at least everything with me. Like I'm always working the craft of whatever it is. And I think it's pretty damn good and I'm ready to like put it out there, but it always still can get better. <laughs> um, but so yeah, I was, you know, DJing my parts as soon as I could convince Whitey to let me throw some shit up there. And, and I always wanted to have it be like some, you know, some ragamuffin or like some hip hop dance hall stuff, like some Cableton or something, um, which, probably you know turn some people off because they're like what the fuck is this uh just a bunch of bubble clots <laughs> but it's crazy you know, Buds loves reggae that. never it, really it, took on you know took right? took off i mean you get your sean pauls and whatever yeah you know you go yeah, out to exactly. like you go to europe though you definitely hear that shit <laughs> in clubs right yeah but in the states it's like but it, really but go. vermont burlington was yeah. like insane like still is you know, i think best so artists would come through like there was a little record store there that was run by this guy, Rhett, and it was... I went to high school with Rhett. It was bomb. Yeah, we'd get the seven inches from Rhett, and... Um, used to buy uh, dime bags from Rhett back I'm in... sure, right? <laughs> dime bag Brett? Back in high school. Rhett. Oh, dime bag Rhett. Yeah. You, you DBR. You go to DBR. his house, house late night with parents were sleeping, he'd pop his head out the back windows, slinging a dime. <laughs> Props, Rhett. Props. <laughs> yeah, see, I lived like an hour from Burlington, <laughs> so it wasn't like... No creeping around for dime bags. <laughs> Well, you know, Buds was actually born in the islands before he's uh, reincarnated. Study <laughs> Buds. He's actually yeah. he's got dance hall in his blood. It's true. Yeah, maybe previous life, maybe. Right. I mean, I've seen it. You know, in the DJ booth, in between the bedroom and the yeah. bathroom, back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> talk about that. You got any, Can you recall? Can you recall his uh, his skill set back then? Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, the stories that you've heard, and I think you've seen, like on the travels, is like no joke. You know, when he gets the right amount of alcohol and the microphone's there. Maybe it's the wrong amount of alcohol. Right. But it's just like there's this combination of everything in the crowd and the lyrics are insane. And, yeah, I mean, people's possession. minds are just blown because, yeah, it's like possession, I guess, right? I mean, yeah. the whole putting the Jamaican slang on it. Because it's not like something I practice, you know? Right, no. What, what was the... I was never practicing. No practicing. Stony Buds brings the thunder. What was the line? I don't know. <laughs> I there was no imagine. lyric writing. <laughs> yeah, it's right. off the dome. It's all in the dome. Right. It's all That's freestyle. The part. It's all from your previous life. I freestyle around the house all the time. I think my wife gets annoyed. Didn't you? I heard just, a rumor that just you... Just chatting around the crib. You opened for Biz Marquee when you were DJing. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, Rest in peace, huh? No doubt. Biz Marquee, R.I.P. Fuck, Bricks, R.I.P. Bricks is where I opened for him, which was a, a club down downtown Salt Lake. And, uh, good, good scene there. Yeah, it was a sick scene always. 
fact, I think I had two broken wrists when I did that. Yeah. I was like double casted from like some unveiled incident. And um, how do you get lined up to open for Bismarcky? Fuck. It's hard to remember, right? I remember Big John used to work down there. Was like Maybe it was something through Big John, who was a bouncer down at the Bricks. Um, but it was like I was DJing different places and I had a night, um, like me and. DJ Knuckles, which some people will oh, know yeah. from like oh, Tech Nine fame and uh, you know, some analog fame, maybe. Um, DJ Knuckles. Exactly. So he and I had a DJ night together at uh, Caribbean Nights, which was like it was like a Latino spot, but on Wednesdays it was a white boy hip hop spot. Right in Sugar House. Yeah, right? yeah, right. You know, it's down the street from my house at the time. It's actually where I met my wife. Strangely enough, that's pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. You mentioned yeah. Unveiled in passing right there. Uh, unveiled, uh, I think you did pretty good in that contest. Yeah, you were a there. champ, weren't you? Yeah, I, I, I guess I won. What the, was Unveiled? So Unveiled was, I don't know who conceptualized it, but it was going to be this half-pipe park contest. And the first one was basically like a big half-pipe that they put some kind of park jumps down the middle of, and it had quarter pipes everywhere, and you just – Basically, jam session it. It was like a half park. Yeah, like peace park. park. Yeah, like peace park. Yeah, it was like a peace, a peace park type of vibe. Yeah, um, at least as far as like the snow goes. But it was a pretty ma- like normal contest otherwise. But yeah, I mean Todd was there. I want to say Todd Richards. You beat was Richards. There. Um, beat Richards. Let's just, hold on. You beat Richards. Boom. Gave Richards a beat down. How does Richards yeah, feel weird. about that? Uh, he's probably got no comment. No comment on the. I city. feel like Otter. I don't know if Otterstrom was there. Oh, you beat Chopper. But so and Rippy was there once. Woo! Rippy was there. Dave Downing was Otterstrom there. Otterstrom just gets better with age. These though. guys are just getting yeah. his body count is just right. insane on this contest. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just like you know home court territory kind of, and I did a few unveils there. They turned it to a team event one time, and Cody Dresser and I did it. That was actually the the year I broke both my wrists was uh, a team event. And I think Cody and I held it down for the canyons. Um, but it was just, it was a fun event. And and I just always. Did you break both, well both wrists in one move? Yeah. Bummer. That's a tough one. It was uh, Mc, McTwist Melon to Disaster, revert to basically like your neck in the flat bottom. It's a double wrist break. Yeah, I just landed like, like perfect disaster and just bounced in. And I thought i broke my was gonna break my neck i guess i put my hands back enough that i actually just cracked these little bones they call they're called the scaphoid Ah. and so it was like i still had function i didn't have like crazy s bent wrists they weren't big breaks it's like the small bone super smallest bone in your wrist yeah it can be kind of problematic actually because it like the way mine broke is like 2080 and the the 80 percent part broke off on the blood flow or the 20 percent part i had to get surgery um, it can. It's a very popular snowboard break, actually, like the most popular. Yes, super popular. And if you don't heal it properly, it dies, and they have to fuse your wrist together. Bro, seriously. And I had bilateral, so I'm doubled down, just like you know, jerking off like this and having a garbage bag up to like wipe your butt. Yeah, I was wondering. I like, wanted to ask how did you had the garbage worst. bag to wipe. I'm garbage bagged. I would put both arms in the garbage bag like this. And wrap them in. <laughs> no, not get crazy, but just so you had coverage, and then you just you know do your thing, and then that way you're not getting it on your cast. Uh-huh. Yeah, you poop, know, keep it simple. Poop that's cast a, that's a good tough. hypothetical to wean out your significant other. Is like, hey, if I broke both my arms and I couldn't wipe my ass, would, would you? you wipe for me? Yeah, right. 
It actually, so significant others, whatever. I was dating a girl at the time and she was super kind and nice. Um, she but wasn't I, down? I remember I was over it. Like it just, the relationship was kind of timing out. I think I'd gotten my casts off. Um, really wanted to break up and go out on the town with actually Ethan and some other guys. <laughs> And it turned into a freaking Seinfeld scenario. Tried to break up with this girl. She was at my house for 24 hours, like convulsing, dry heaving, like had to take care of her, which like I did. I was nice about it, took care of her. But I ended up having to ultimately load her in her car, drive her to her house, put her in her bed and jump on my skateboard and go home. After 24 hours, I was just like. That's a harsh breakup. We need to be done. Yeah, it's just a bummer. I mean, it sounds... There was a Seinfeld. It's, it sounds about unsensitive, that but it yeah. just is a weird scenario. Like I've, like I'm not that great to have that kind of reaction. But a 24 hour breakup. Yeah, that. that but uh, that was the end of my cast. Did she wipe for you? Yeah, you didn't answer the question. No, 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 no. I'm not was trying. That to, main, not trying was to, that the main reason for the breakup? <laughs> is, that, is that what caused it? No, no. But surely that would have. I wasn't about to let that happen. You got to be pretty bad off to let someone wipe your butt. See, I, I would, that's, to me, the, I would. I think that's true love. Yeah, true love. That's where I see it. It's like hypothetical. I think on a first date, I'd probably ask that. Yeah. Right. Would you be willing to wipe my anus if I broke both my arms? Yes or no? She says no. I just get up, leave the table. Get up, leave the table. Right. Leave her I mean, with a bill, even. Limited commitment at that point if you're not down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right that took a turn yeah. well, let's talk about uh let's talk about cheddar biscuits here uh, uh i, I want to know you know people want to know when you were in the prime what are we talking here let's talk biscuits right prime um well a little bisque bisque history bisque history <laughs> bisque history so the you history know, in my bisque. day you know early 90s everybody was pro even if you got paid 200 dollars a month that's the truth um but I got paid way more than that. But you know, it was it was like steady increase. You're a pretty high level pro, though. Yeah, I would like to think so. <laughs> I, mean, you I, made I it, mean, you made it on our show. I mean, right? I know. I, you know, just kidding. Still paying for it. So tell us about the bisque. Yeah. So the you know bisque. You're gonna Louis Vito? You think? Yeah, he's and starting. That's he's what he was, squirm. Like, he's squirming around squirm. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so you know, reasonable amounts of money. Let's say like the last uh, four or five years is like over a hundred thousand. Okay. And then, you know, building up to that nice and steady. So that's solid. Good. Yeah. That's Six more than two hundred dollars a month or whatever you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um there's no problem exactly. spending forty on a car then. No, no. That's no, no problem. Just like my mom was always like, When you make money, buy a house first and I'm like, Okay, cool, but I don't have that down payment, but I can start putting some money down on this car. Um, less of a down payment. Huh? Less of a down payment. But yeah, all that stuff happened so fast actually. The and like the, the bisque just though. piled up and you know, it was like like I was saying, like in that ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand two, two thousand three, like Division twenty three, joyride, ride, photos, so many photos, so much paychecks. <laughs> so But you yeah. sounds like you were spending it too though as fast as it was coming in or no? Uh I mean, I didn't ever have much savings. I mean, you know, when you're 1099 guy, the tax man wants his money. So half of the time I'm like, sick, I got like, you know, 20, 30 G's in the bank. Boom. It all yeah, goes right, to the tax right man. a check to the tax man. Yeah. You think uh, you're I mean, it's what, 40, 40%, right? For if yeah, you're not, it, if your tax man's not super 
Yeah, I mean, so many like $20,000 checks to the tax man or more, you know. Now, after being a pro that has made six figs, uh, six done, figs, done six figs, snapping necks, cashing checks, grabbing tail, checks in the mail, uh, checks in the mail scenario, uh, we want to know, like, if you're if you were to go back and give advice to a young kid coming up, what what advice do you have for that young ripper? Pad your contract with lots of like incentives for your social media, <laughs> or maybe just like get a second <clears throat> job. Yeah, I don't know. Early? <laughs> get a second job early. Get a second job early. Um, no, I don't know. I don't know. Like the vibe I get from the snowboard industry is that there's a lot of money to be made for a certain amount of people. You know, there's more money than ever, but that there's less in the middle. Like you know, I come from a time when the middle was fat. Yeah, everyone was getting forty to fifty. People were getting forty to fifty all day. Um, and I don't know if it's so much like that anymore. But then certainly you got guys, guys and girls that are making tons of cheddar bisque, and then some that are basically still like, you know, living off mom or dad or the uncle, or just not making yeah. a lot of money but making it work. Right. But I guess what I would say is that there's always the one thing you always find, and it's like what I was saying about you guys, or you know what I tried to do with with my snowboarding is there's always going to be room for something at that high level that's super curated that, you know, if you pay really good attention to your snowboarding and you look at the whole thing from a business perspective and understand that there's only so much time, then uh, there's tons of money out there. I mean, look at like our, our boy Louis Vito has got that Wiener schnitzel money, you know, and that Toyota money. Dancing with the stars money. I don't yeah, even know if he has a board. Of, he, he doesn't a have a board sponsor. Yeah, he did you know a lot what I mean? But it doesn't matter. And so then you can still do it your way. Um, and then I guess the other thing I would say is kind of like that whole graduating to the backcountry thing. Like my feeling is like if you're putting yourself in these different situations, you could still be known as the contest person if that's what your specialty was or whatever it is. But I don't know. Your time is, is short in snowboarding maybe and try to do everything if you're into it or don't do more than the one thing if you're into it. I mean, it's for everyone to, to figure out, but. I would just always want to be more diverse. Totally. If you see a guy do a freaking amazing jump trick, the rail trick becomes more valuable. Sure, you know, when yeah. you see somebody do it all, totally. Right. I mean, when you don't see someone do it all, it actually becomes more apparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. I, I have to ask, too, because I think that snowboarding is so much about edge control. And earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that you bash gate ski racing. Right. Did that play a factor in your edge control yeah i mean for sure you know everyone can develop good technique or whatever but you know coming from that era where like craig kelly really turned he did giant slalom and sean palmer did giant slalom um you know everyone learned to turn back in the day and then in the 90s people just started snowboarding and Oh, the style, like the style I was chasing was like some Bobby Meeks Tarquin shit where you're like, your fingers are spread, your hands are out and they're flat parallel to the ground. And you're almost like slushing, you know, you're just turning everything sideways and just buttering everything. You know, Brett, Betsy Pratt would be pissed. Betsy but it, Pratt would knock you down. <laughs> Betsy Pratt is from Gl- Mad River Glen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mad River Glen. Just, <laughs> that's a callback from earlier. Yeah, in episode. exactly. <laughs> it's a reference. Fire. But if you see like... I don't know, if you see me snowboarding and you know what I look like when I snowboard, you would see me. You're like, oh, there's Ollie at Woodward because I'm like 
rail jump, edge, 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 rail jump, whatever it is. Like I don't push around. I I edge because I like I don't know. I like the feeling of the G forces too. That's kind of like the whole like rally car, bicycle, whatever it is. Like that feeling. It all comes back to that one feeling, right? You roll down the street on your skateboard. It, just rolling down the street feels awesome. Just going edge to edge and feeling how you can hold that edge is awesome. Like I used to wake up in the morning in Vail and I would just, you know, roast a bowl, drink some coffee, first chair, music, and I would just be cutting GS laps basically on the big racing faces that they have at Vail. And then eventually I would bump into a crew riding the same chairlift and then I'd be shredding with whoever. But just the mornings, just cruising, music, groomers, laying it over, edging. As you get older, too, edging is something that's fun. <laughs> I've heard that. People have, people have told me that. No way. That shit's way too hard. It's, well, just riding fast and shit is still yeah. pretty sick. Yeah. You know, it's like riding a bike. No comment. Um, so you'll, you'll get there, bud. You'll get there. <laughs> no, it is It is good. It's a, a, a big, a big uh, crude. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I just said so basically to recap what you said, essentially grab tail the checks in the mail. <laughs> Yes, and learn how to snowboard. <laughs> it's good for you properly. Yeah, totally. That's good. Edge control is important. Yeah, Love edge control is like, I mean, because it just shows, right? Like, you can shred, and like, oh, that guy's rad. And then, but you're like, oh, what happened to your edge control, buddy? You can't make it down this chute. Like, oh, bummer. You know what trips me the fuck out is watching a lot of the top slope style competitors spin backside and go dead straight in the jump. Mm. They don't even... They literally don't like, like they, no S. They, setup. T- they basically do a slight heel side. Yeah. And then if you watch, like, especially maybe Stolly would be a good example of this, goes dead straight and then torsionally flexes their board. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, you can see if you see like the slow mo clip they of it. You can see their they board. They torsionally flex it and then wing it dead straight. And I'm just like, the amount of edge control these guys have is psychotic. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, when you're talking about like some good slope or some pipe. Yeah, pipe like is you're even not gonna, Yeah, you're not going to get out. Scott, Scotty James, switch backside. Yeah. It's like that dude. Bro, switch Unreal. backside is like, you might as well just toss yourself like old trash if you're not good at that. Like, you, you're just going to get yeah. flung. You're going to get worked. Yeah. You want to yeah. feel, like, embarrassed on your snowboard? Go try to switch backside here. Yeah, go try to go <laughs> up the half-pipe wall, switch backside. Yeah, Especially exactly. the size of it today. Right, good Oof. luck. Speaking of that, buds, when's, when's the switch Mickey coming out of retirement? Maybe uh, I don't know. We get airbag set up. <laughs> so let's go. Mickey. We need a mini pipe with an airbag. Mini pipe. Mini pipe what with an airbag. What size was the veil pipe back in the day? Eight or nine. That's a good size. Yeah, really nice. It's a good size. Prime. When you could sprock, it was all about sprocking. Now, if you sprock, you're gonna land in. You're the gonna just flat bounce out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now it's just speed and right. edge control. Yeah. Only. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mostly not too much ollie. None. But it was all Ollie back in that, like, you know, brushy days, old Terje days, U.S. Open, just crusty hand dug. Not hand dug, they dig it with, like, a backhoe. Yeah. And it was so crusty. You know, you see the old footage, you're like, man, that thing sucks. But dudes were boosting. And it was just, yeah, you just hit the lip and then jump up in the air as hard as you can. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we've had this on the set here, this urn. Do you want to... Uh, Talk about what this is. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's my mom. 
Should and we give her the super air horn? Yeah. Well, no. Let's give her just the regular air horn, but maybe multiples. Okay. Yeah, because the the super air horn's too crazy. Okay, she just want. Okay, we, but you uh, know, what about a, applause? With an we air need horn? we need like a medium air horn. Yeah, just some respect is always good. So yeah, that's that's my mom. Um, unfortunately, she passed away. Uh, spring of 2020, she had like some some pretty rare cancers. Um, but she was just my mom was she's basically who raised me. My dad was always right down the street, but they just didn't get along. So early on, they were just like, you know, we'll go our separate ways. Um, and so it was my mom that drove me to all the bike races and supported the snowboarding and, you know, did did all the, the wonderful things for me. Um, so I thought it was just appropriate that I would bring her along, try to, you know, take her places and sprinkle her around Hawaii and, you know. All stuff like that. Um, but she's, yeah, my mom was just obviously like a big character in my life. And she chose this urn probably about six months before she passed. And, um, yeah, so there. It's a pretty cool urn, too, is. that she picked out. Yeah, it's like this total Day of the Dead thing she got out in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which was like a place she loved to go. Um yeah, and she picked this one out, and then she picked out two other little ones that are maybe the size of a beer can for her her two best friends. So oh wow! I divvied up a little bit in there and um, sent them sent them back to Vermont. Yeah, so there she is. I mean, I kind of wanted to like try to bring my friends along, you know. Like I brought my mom. I got J two over here, and um, I also have my buddy, my buddy Mikey. Um, Mikey, who I started a skateboard company with, and I, I brought him along in the form of a, a skateboard deck, actually. Yeah. We what? smoke J2, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Were you there with us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. It was going nuts <laughs> on J2 Day um, this past spring. That I saw a, people. It was crazy, yeah. Were smoking him. They were doing, like, Dip. dips, like, Tobacco in the lip styles, yeah. That's twos would have been so proud. Uh, yeah, twos would have been all in for that for sure. It's a little too gritty for me. Like I know what ashes in my mouth tastes like, and so I passed on that one. Oh, you passed on it. I passed on the ingestion or the snorting or the yeah, yeah. Um, people took it too far, but twos would have been proud. Yeah, You're yeah. A big but part of putting that together too, J two day, that was really big success. That was great. Yeah, J two day was cool. Very um, cool. Yeah, it was just a great celebration of, you know, someone that's passed. Yeah. True. And you that was on 2-2. Like 2022, yeah. yeah. Yep. Tuesday. Tuesday. On a Tuesday, too. It fell on a Tuesday. Right. It's kind of random. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. I think it's really cool that you uh, wanted to honor your mom and your friends. And uh, Easton mentioned something about potential alien contact. Right, yeah, so... Well, you know, it's crazy. I think last time your mom was in town, or I don't know if it was the last time she was in town, one time I was in town, you guys started talking about it. Oh, yeah. But never told me the story. Oh, really? Yeah, but she was like, oh, one time I need to tell you the story. Huh. Yeah, I wish, like, I want to, like, get hypnotized or something so I can remember the story better because I was, like, 16 when she told me. <coughs> um, but interestingly enough, this, this, this alien contact happened in Santa Fe... Was it Santa Fe 
or it was in it was in the southwest but she had been visiting her friends in santa fe and um she'd been doing a lot of meditation at the time because she also has like a buddhist practice and she's not like was she's not like interested in aliens like there's nothing it's not like her her hobby or anything and as the story goes so she told me the story when she came back right after she'd experienced it you know told it to me just a 16 year old kid in the kitchen uh, but essentially, she was out in the Southwest, and she had taken our our friend's dog to hike him. And uh, she was hiking out in the desert, and I guess the the path had kind of a, dissipated. Like you, it wasn't clear, and the dog wasn't picking up the scent. And uh, so she's kind of milling about, they're trying to figure out where the path is. And then some other people come along, I guess that were also going. They're looking for this path. And they they invited her to essentially go meditate with them up on some you know mesa, some some bluff or something. So she had, you know, she's like, okay, you know, I'll I'll go along with you. Um, and she was kind of thinking, you know, I hope these aren't crystal people. Like she, I don't know what her aversion to crystals were, but she was into meditation, but she's not into crystals. Go figure. Um, but so what happens is she sits down with these people. They're meditating, and this one guy glows gold he's like gold aura and he's speaking to them like um through telepathy right so it's like he's speaking to them they're not saying anything and he's he's saying that he is a being from pleiades which is a planet where you know they say some aliens come from it's alien culture and uh he's saying you know specifically to my mother that she should continue her practice of meditating and then she'll be able to start channeling these people. And she, you know, in that moment she was like, can you give me some sort of sign to let me know, you know, that uh, this is real or whatever it may be. And at that moment, a hawk had flown over and she'd wanted to see a hawk apparently. Um, so that you know, kind of gelled things. And that's like really the parts that I remember. Like, I don't remember. There was more detail, right, to what he was saying. Uh, but the gist of it was just that she should continue to meditate. She will channel. And someone would need to be there present to basically document the channeling. So that, to me, was a little bit spooky. Like, I'm like, I don't. Yeah, when you're a 16-year-old kid, yeah. your mom's telling you that. Yeah, I'm like, I don't really want to be like, I don't know what's going to happen when you channel. Like, I don't know. It seems scary. <laughs> like, I but anyway, she, it just kind of was quiet after that. Like she didn't meditate more for a while, uh, but she did eventually return to a practice of Buddhism and, and meditation and never said anything more to me about that. But that's, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Like I love the whole, like not all conspiracy theory, but I love, you know, the what ifs of things and looking at things from a different perspective. And, and I love the whole alien thought, um, you know, because it's like, how can we be the only life form and, you know, as vast as the universe is? Yeah, if it's um, infinite, like they and say. And I mean, like, my understanding is that, that Chris is marked. He's... I got a triangle right some, there. Yeah, triangle yep. on the finger. Like, that's insane. I want to see this. Yeah. Yeah, somebody triangle. was sending me some documentation about that. Yeah, that's weird. It's like a triangle-shaped scar, and you said that triangle. you found other... People. I googled it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who knows? You know, but but somebody uh, said DM me some shit about that. 
Yeah. There's other people talking about it. Right. Well, and Bodhi supposedly was abducted by aliens. And you know? he never dreamed again and after then, that. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. Maybe they gave him the skills for those, you know, switchback so rodeos. Yeah, and, such a... And back right. ten, such a good stuff. snowboarder. Yeah, maybe they, that's where he got that from. Right. I mean, there's some certainly something to all of that. You know, when back in the day, it's like, oh, a weather vane or weather thing, weather balloon fell down. Well, first it's a UFO, then it's a weather balloon, then it's like I don't know, and then now we've got new technologies. I mean, we definitely made some advances. The iPhone is like, all you need to do is look at your iPhone. I mean, I don't know how anyone can believe anything these days when I can have an app where I can just put my face or any of my friends' faces on it, <laughs> and it's pretty convincing like that. Now, what are you going to believe? Because if I could do that on my app, like you could do like a pro job, you're yeah, not the, even the real deep fake stuff. Yeah, like deep, deep fake Tom Cruise, like for real though. Anyway, I love it. Well, one thing I wanted to highlight too is the fact that you keep talking about like good vibes. Yeah, I want you to lean into that a little bit more. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't see, I'm not like, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Um, religion is a whole other thing. I, I, I believe that people need religion. I don't believe that there is like one God. There may be multiple gods. There may be, you know, everyone can't be wrong. You know, all the different religions, they're, they're all basically talking to one God. Um, but I guess for me, like the... The earth does vibrate. We're electrical beings. Like these are known things. There's a thing called the Schumann Schumann resonance, Schumann resonance. Um, that's like the frequency that the earth vibrates at naturally. And and you can actually achieve these these same vibrations. Like if you I guess if you, you know, get your you're sitting in a chair, you put your, your foot up on the ball of your foot and you wait long enough and it'll start to vibrate and like I think it was African tribes in Africa. Like they would have their kids do this to calm them. But then they, they start like your leg starts vibrating at the Schumann resonance. And I guess my whole point of this is that we are all vibes. And it's almost like if you want to look at star Wars as a nerd and want to know what the force is, the force is literally the magnetic force, the Schumann resonance, the vibrations that we have on the earth that connects us all. And what I find is that putting out good vibes definitely brings back good vibes. Like, you know, people are saying, oh, if you're, you know, if you're nice, good things will come. But it, it really does. Like, I don't go terribly out of my way, but I do, I would rather build someone up or say something positive about what they are doing than, you know, point out something that they're not doing. I mean, I can't always stick to that. Like, you know, when I'm talking to my kids, I'm like, this is what you're doing wrong. <laughs> but in general, like it's, you know, it's that same philosophy of like, you know, something's triggering you on the internet. You look at it and you do the simplest thing, which is if you don't have anything nice to say. You don't say anything. Or maybe you could come at it and like challenge, like I like to challenge myself to find something positive to say because everything comes from people's passions, whatever it is like, you know, in the car world, for instance, like the corniest thing you can do probably is put a K&N sticker on your windshield after you've put in a $50 fuel filter or air filter. But the reality is that there's passion behind it and everyone starts somewhere. And so while I may be like, oh, that's corny, like why would you represent your air filter? I still understand there's, that there's passion. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. For me, the vibration is like something that's so real. And if, it, if I had a religion, it would probably be earth <laughs> just cause, uh, you know, like I, I don't know if you guys are into grounding. Yeah. Um, some yeah. people are aware of it, but basically because the earth does have an electrical field and vibrations and because we're electrical beings, it's really great for your body to just touch the ground barefoot every day. And actual scientific studies show that like your blood, the content of how your blood molecules are and everything changes after three minutes of contact with the earth. I don't know if fun stuff to do is like grounding and like uh, sun gazing. Like, you know, people gave Trump a lot of shit for staring into the sun during an eclipse or something. And yeah, you shouldn't do that. But in the mornings and the evenings, it's really nice to let that low light come into your eye, like maybe out of your peripheral and it can have like these really positive effects. And mm -hmm. I'm into a lot of that stuff. Um, Cause my mom was like into homeopathic remedies and things like that. And, and you know, some might call, call her like an extra tree hugger or hippie or something, but there's, you know, there's things that we sustained ourselves with and healed ourselves with for thousands of years before modern medicine. And there's no substitute for cutting into someone and, doing a surgery like you can't rub bark on that but you can run rub bark on some other shit that they might try to give you a surgery or some medicines for and i mean it all comes down to you know environmental and we have a lot of environmental effects on us and so the more you can like have positive energy be in contact with the earth be positive among people the actually the last chance you have just in general of getting cancer, sick, all of these things. Like you get the flu, that's, it comes from, you know, different aspects, but part of it is actually your mental and, and how, how you're feeling plays big into your physical, which then when that gets depleted, then you get sick. If you never are sad and you're, you know, in good health as far as food and stuff, you, I don't know if you'd ever get sick I and mean, I'm not a doctor, but I'll play one on Facebook. <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> No, there's a lot of really. What about catching viruses, points? though? I mean, viruses. Well, so the thing I've learned about viruses is that viruses are also within us, and so like, just because you're deathly ill, you could hawk one a loogie right in my mouth. I'm not guaranteed to get sick because you've got you know immune systems and other things. Like, can you pass a virus? Yes. Do you pass a virus? Not always. Um, and viruses can are can be within you. And maybe I mean, if you're beat down from how you're feeling, you're, stressed you're, more, you're more likely to get right. that virus. Well, you want to talk about like more modern things and something you might hear on the radio, like HPV. People talk about HPV. It's the funky bumps on your genitalia. Yeah. That, the, they have an ad for it, which is really interesting because the ad tells you to go get vaccinated for it. But the ad actually in it says that most people have spontaneous resolution, but some people don't. And if you take this vaccination, then then you won't, and then you don't. It's almost like keeps. Like I'll sell you some shit for your hair to keep the hair before you lose it. Is but keeps are a you? Thing? Is that but, a real but, thing? But did keeps keep your hair, or were you not going to lose it? Is keeps a real thing? Uh, keeps is a real thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's all like this is marketing. It's all yeah. like we're going to sell you this. We're going to tell you you need it, and we're going to play on your feeling that it like if you. Don't get this. The funky bump is going to take you out and you're going to have cancer. Um, I mean, the reason I know this is because they push this hard on children. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, vaccinate your kid for HPV. And I'm like, yo, I mean, 
herpes is almost worse. Like, you know, just don't be careful who you kiss. Like, yeah. don't the funky bump is a whole different thing. But anyway, it I guess keeps my, it smart because a certain percentage is going to go bald and a certain percentage right. isn't, so they win. But that's the, I mean, that's the world we live in. Is yeah. Marketing. There's a bunch of magical stuff, and then there's also a bunch of other stuff, and there's marketing and media, and it, all of it can be great or cannot be great, depending on how much you realize. I mean, it's like, man, I was talking to this this crazy guy I know, and his dad was a projector guy in the movies, right? So he's seen the single frames of Coca-Cola and popcorn, the subliminal stuff. The real ones. That only a little bit of your mind picks up, but you never consciously see it. And that's just so real. I mean, we already know subliminal messaging was used. You know, they put sexy images within the ice cubes of a Hennessy advertisement. Like, we already knew that. A lot of people don't think about it. Yeah. But I guess my whole point to this is, like, the more you, like, just don't take the media for face value. Just don't take your friend's social media post for face value. But maybe look into all the stuff, and you'll find that, like, yeah, there, there's single frames of popcorn and Coca-Cola at the movie theater because that's old school ways of getting, getting to your you mind. you go to buy it. Yeah. yeah. You guys should try it in your podcast. <laughs> Some little frames of uh, pub beer. <laughs> yeah, pub beer, subscribe, like up your Patreon commitments. Speaking of pub beer. <laughs> yeah. It could be time, huh? Is it pub beer crapshoot time? I think it's time. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, mate. Hey, buddy. That's so how you can tell a real, real friend right there because they'll look you in the eyes when they drink After the you drink. Say cheers, you're supposed to. You know, I want to. I don't want to put it strictly on the gentleman because a gentlewoman would also know these things. Yeah, but, uh, you're supposed to make eye contact. With eye eyes. contact for the listeners. We have a little concoction going on here. We got some pub beer getting mixed with looks like some uh, orange juice. Do we decide if this is called a brass monkey or not? You know, I looked up the brass monkey, it's and that's um, that is a true cocktail with alcohol, uh, hard alcohols. But I not. don't know what this is. This is like... It's like a leaning kugel. You know, it's like a summertime shanty vibe. Leaning kugel, huh? They did that in Germany, huh? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, it's like a poor man's Hefeweizen. You know, just a little orange yep. juice. A little blue moon vibe. Up on your, up on your pub beer. Nice. That's a great, great way to enjoy pub beer in the summer right there. Uh, we haven't seen that. And a little pro tip, if you throw it in a wine glass, because of the nature of the shape, it keeps the effervescence in and it actually makes your skunky beer taste better. Wow, we're learning things here on the bomb hole today. All right, let's. Uh, what were we doing ever, again? Evervescence. Yeah, evervescence. Clackety clackety. Welcome mm. to the pub beer crap shoot. <laughs> yes. Roll these bones. Roll them bones. All right, I've seen a lot of these shows, but I'm still gonna need like a little guide. Yeah, we'll tell you what it is. There we go. We got a guide. You just roll and we tell you. I got to roll. I'm just going to roll. Yeah, you two dice. Roll. And then just whatever happens on the pub beer crapshoot. Happens. All right, here we go. Here rolling we go. the dice. Here we go. Literally and figuratively. It's a roll of the dice. Come on, Goon Gear. I got uh, seven. We've been getting this one seven. every time. Yeah, it's been popping up. Like, seven's hot, but I like sevens it. Sevens are hot. Seven. Who's one of your favorite people to party with? Seven, seven, eleven. Oh, man. Seven even back to old little Joe. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, Ethan's obviously a strong, strong contender from back in the party days. I used to hold my own. Right? You could say. You know, I'm going to give a shout-out to my man, Big Chad, 
Big Dr- Chad. Drunken Chad. He was a definite <laughs> professional partier. Chad from Blindside. Chad from the Circle Lounge. Chad He's, Nelson, full yeah, name. Exactly. Chad Nelson. He, he. Uh, I mean, things in the past, right? What do they call it? The uh, Statue of Limitations? Statute of Limitations. Statute. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, back in the day, he was the, he was the go to dude with he the big the, with the big car, like suburban. He would take us all to the bar. He would drink and drive. Not, I don't condone drinking and driving at all. But he uh, would do it he for would, the benefit of others. If you're gonna drink and drive, you should use your signals, stay within the lanes, go to the speed limit, um, and make sure you don't have any guns or tail lights out. Break one law at a time. But anyway, my point is. Big Chad, he's he's always a pleasure. He always takes care of people. He actually just recently took care of us in Hawaii when we were out there. Um, pleasure to party with. He's the dude. He would drive everybody to Wendover even. just Big Chad. Oh, yeah. He was, I mean, guaranteed we'd meet up at his house. Go to the bar, and then he'd bring it to Wendover. Hell, yeah. Well, uh, just like sidebar, I'd like to say we do not condone drinking. Well, they got Uber. And, they got uh, Uber now. This is a different era. Yeah, um, it's a different yes. era. I mean, yes. if you're getting a... a a drinking and driving ticket when you could just call them $10, $20 Uber. And right. Make, you're fucking up. You're messing up. Yeah, you're time. really fucking up. We didn't have Uber back then. No. You had to call a cab. There was no cab big enough. Again. And so they'd sometimes even close down. It, you just had still. to have a sober driver back then, but now you got a permanent sober driver in Uber. Right. I mean, it's like everything. Grain of salt, pinch of caution, whatever it is. Only break one lot of time. Mm-hmm. So I want to dive back into kind of the bookend of your snowboard career, you went out with a bang with your part in Moment of Truth. And that was a great one. Big, you know, not not to make it about me, but that was one that had a big impact on me. And going back and watching that part, you know, you did like a giant uh, chicane on a step down, which I totally forgot about. You were the first person to drop to board slide on that rail here on the uh. way up the canyon. Oh, yeah. um, you know, that tail block that we mentioned earlier, you know, you unlocked a lot of the switch creeper down the library hubba, you yeah, know, hitting yeah. the, the toe jam rail there. Um, yeah, let's just like talk about that part and how it was kind of the bookend to your career. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was like the end of my career and I mean, as far as I was mentally like, you know, I was getting older. Snowboarding was still the thing that I loved, but going to the you know, the industry parties, whatever, like all that other stuff, I was kind of over. And then the kids, you know, kids keep getting, you know, new young kids come in. Um, anyway, I was so I was just in a different vibe, but I knew that I wanted to, well, I wanted to put out a, I'm always wanting to put out a good part. Like you're always chasing your best part, right? And injury sometimes gets in the way. Like I had an ACL surgery and I had bilateral wrist surgeries and these things slow you down with your confidence and, you know, you're not shredding all the time. And, you know, I'm always, was always chasing like, you know, the right style. Like, yeah, do stuff switch, but you want to do it switch with like your arms down looking like you're a regular footer, you know, and chasing that. And that goes away every time you have injury. Um, But so I would just, you know, was focused on that, that tech nine part. And I wanted to put out the best part that I could. And I had a really great year where I had very low injury, maybe partly cause I was, I was really into cycling at the same time. So I, you know, physically I could hike all day. I was fit, um, you know, like someone might be now. Uh, but so I just, 
you know, poured myself into that part and got the tricks I wanted to get the way I wanted to get them. Um, you know, I never like really sat down like I know Mikey would do or someone where you just feel fully curate it and you're like, you know, I'm, these are the spots I want to hit for sure. And I want to get these tricks. Like, you know, I'm, like I don't even remember how the, the library ledge came about, but it existed. They'd built it. The library was new. People had hit it. And um, that was with. Is at the university? This no, is this is the library the downtown. Library Salt Lake. downtown oh, Salt Lake. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The nude library. Yeah. It's not new anymore, but at that time. At that time it was new, right? Yeah. And that was a new feature. And I was there with you and Cole and um, trying to. Remember, I'm we, all which library? I think oh, Benny, Benny maybe switch 50 did or something like that. Yeah, it could be. So, but like that stuff, um, you know, it was probably a spot I wanted to hit, but it was like Stony Buds was like, hey, we're going to go, we'll go hit this. And uh, I mean, that particular one was kind of like, it was like Burning Bridges era, you know, Burning Bridges, FODT, Kingpin. And there was like, I don't know, the, the local. Burning Bridges kids were, like, bugging me. Um, there was just, a, like, animosity kind of between the crews, even though there was there was intermingling and friends, and, and uh, there was this kid, Forgash, who was, like, he was cool, whatever. Um, but I didn't really always care for him. And I remember he had 50-50 creepered that. So, like, if you look at my part, I switch 50 creeper, and then I'm, like, fake yawning in the exit because um, I just felt like, I don't know. Sloppy. Snow, snowboarding is snowboarding, snowboarding. Like I just creeper on it. It doesn't matter if you go forward or backward. You know, it's kind of like riding your snowboard down a ledge or like grooming the lip just right. You just ride your snowboard over it. Um, but that was, I don't know. That was my own little thing that maybe probably no one caught. I didn't even know that. Uh, yeah. yeah. There is a lifey you read after the yeah, lifestyle shot. Yeah. But I'd like switch 50 and then I'm like coming out of it and I'm just like, Fake, no fake yawn. But um, I don't know, man. I just, you know, it was a you good think year. Guys caught and, it? and I just always wanted to get that shit. I well, don't he know. Got, he, he got one-upped. Yeah. yeah he he got super one-upped. But I don't know if he paid attention. There's another clip we have to talk about in that part that I think about every time anybody that's ever ridden Brighton and you go up the crest lift, at the top there's a cat track that everybody jumps mm. off of right yeah, into the yeah. lift that yep. is great on a powder day. And you switch back five that thing, film from the lift in your part, and it's that that one's like uh, it's cool because we think of you every time we go up crest. You know, right. it's cool. That's a legendary move. Yeah, that was just one of those things where it's like, like you say, it's a it's a really nice hit. When Any you're given up there. powder day, right? Any given powder day, six inches or more, that's going to be go to first run. You want to hit that, and so that was one of those days where like I'm like, okay, Cole, it snowed enough. Let's go up. We think we hit that, and then we left. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, those things weren't, like, they're, like, unintentionally intentional, right? So it's, like, I knew that would be a cool spot, and I, and that's just going to be a clip. Like, you know, I told it to Cole. He's like, oh, I don't know, right? It's just that jump at Brighton. Um, but, like you say, we, you know that spot. It's in your mind, and you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. Um, you know, not on, like, the drop to rail at by the sand pit at the you know the parking ride on 6200 that wasn't something that i was like oh i gotta hit this they built that parking lot and then there was this rail thing there i think everyone probably looked at it and was like how oh, how do we hit this and then one day um captain stoney shane charlebois was like yo you should come off of there onto the rail and i'm like okay cool 
And then that was another Stony Buds moment. I don't know why Shane just like gave that one to me because he was still filming for Kingpin and it was Cole and and Ethan that shot it. Yeah. Not uh not Charlevoix. The Fava brothers got after it this year. If you look, if you yeah. look at the evolution of that part, it start you do drop board slide. I think years after I went did and drop fifty. Then Scott Stevens did drop front board. And then Dylan Thompson did drop back one eighty. And then recently I don't think it's come out yet, but there's been some things that have happened on it this year that uh, will come out in the fall. So it's just cool to see the evolution of a spot um, that you unlocked and and, uh, opened the floodgates. Unlocked. Totally. It is interesting, too, because it's like, I mean, that spot's not really great. Like you're not like oh yeah I got some good tricks for that spot that spot kind of sucks like sucks. and the road is high oh, like yeah. high traffic and I had to land like closer to one binding than the other because the board was getting so much flex that you just get like spit off the rail and you touch the rail for like a minute and it's impossible to touch it for more not even a minute like a, a second. second yeah, yeah. Like a, second. a millisecond a hot second you're like psh, done K- kiss the rail if hot you hands. but just one of those ones like you say it's just like it's there everyone's seen it. Let's go get it and scenario on a yeah. snowy day. But that's a, I mean, that's a perfect thing for someone to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. You mentioned earlier that cycling was something that was able, you were able to keep fit while you were filming that part. Now, um, basically, I, I want to lean into cycling. But before I do, I, just as I was talking, I was thinking, did you know, like, were you like, okay, I'm officially retired after that part? Or were you kind of, what was your, what was it take after Moment of Truth came out? Or was it kind of like a slow wind down? To be 100% honest, just to be 100% honest, like, yeah, I crack out a last part because what I want is that next sponsorship deal to keep me going further. And for whatever reason, you know, I'd finished up my contract with Ride and, you know, I didn't, um, you know, they didn't renew that contract. And understandably, I mean, you could look at someone that's been snowboarding for 10 years and you might say, okay, well, how much more do we want to put into this person? Because it's, you know, it's, it's a business. Um, but so, you know, without the ride contract, then I was like, I had my tech nine contract and I'd kind of gone, this is one of the mistakes that you can avoid as a pro snowboarder is not having, not being under one umbrella too much the more diversity of sponsors you have, the more chance you have to survive and more people to promote you. You know, I was under ride head to toe with tech nine bindings. Um, I forgot I rode for like Smith or somebody goggles, but anyway, you know, you lose your major sponsor. Now you now what are you going to do? Um, but so it was good though, because honestly, like I had mentioned earlier, mentally I love snowboarding, but I didn't love the game anymore. Like, I didn't, you know, I wasn't pushing myself to be better than the next. Like, I'm like, I'll go do something creative, but I'm not, you know, going for the double cork now. And I don't like the industry. Like, I specifically chose, I did choose an industry job, but not in the industry. Like, I didn't go be a team manager or anything like that. I went into coaching snowboarding um, because I wanted to continue my, my whole life view I guess is the balance of work and play and I don't like to work more than I need like because what am I going to do with money yeah I could buy stuff whatever but if I've got money you know I'm being progressive in my life then all the time I'm not working is the most valuable it's a nice outlook right there what am I going to do with money right I mean yeah sure I could buy cars I could buy more property but if I've got enough that you know 
you know, when's enough enough when you see these people working crazy right. hard. But that's the thing. Like, you might be multimillionaire, but if you don't have time with your family or your friends. They're enjoyable things. Then what's the point? Yeah, so I'm like. If Chris doesn't have time to dirt bike, he's going to go insane. Well, yeah, there's that too. Work hard, there's, play hard. There's the, you know, the mental health aspect of it all where I think people get caught in that idea of like, I'm going to grind. I need to get this, get this paper, like whatever it is. Getting paper is like the dumbest thing I've heard of. I'm going to get this time, you know. Yeah, I'm going to get some paper too. But the time is the most valuable. So going back to that whole like, you know, was this the end or what was that all about? Like in a, I was ready and I needed the right catalyst to just be like, okay, I need to go to the next thing. Because I was going to be a snowboarder for the rest of my life if I could. I would just figure out how to, you know, keep doing it. But you have to play the game to a certain degree. Um, at least then you did, you know, you need to go to the industry parties and you need to keep talking to the magazine editors and, and all of these things. You couldn't just put out your shit on Instagram and it'd be like your own media thing. So, yeah. And so that's what led my transition, which ended up sort of coming together again. Maybe it's like the universe, like how I keep saying it comes together. And so kind of go out on a high note, you know, which is where you should like to end Although I would have milked that titty for a long time. Well said. That was well articulated yeah. and, <laughs> so and cool. You, cool. Um, you know, I never knew the story behind that. Uh, it's, that was really incredible to hear. And, you know, furthermore, I, I know you mentioned that you had been cycling a lot. And it seemed like right oh. when you got out of, out of snowboarding, you just went all in on, on cycling. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was um, 14, my mom had taken us to Italy for the summer. And it was like a big bummer because all my friends were skateboarding in town. Like my, my own buddy's building a mini ramp. Like, and I'm in Italy, in Tuscany, in the wine country. Um, so I ended up convinced my mom to work on my dad. And they got me this cheap mountain bike. Like oh, it was 350 bucks or something. And I would ride to the next town to do some skateboarding. And then I'd ride 10 more miles to the next town to do some skateboarding because the you know, the wine country where we were at is dirt roads. So that just, you know, there's something about it I liked. And then the next thing I knew I had the map and I was riding through like the Italian countryside, which is a great place to start riding bikes as a young child because cycling super revered there. So cars don't run you over. People don't try to kill you. You know, they just let you cycle. So that was the start of it when I was 14 and, and mountain biking was exploding then. It was the 80s you know, later eighties. And so I just, there's something I always liked about the tour de France. I don't know what it was, but when I would see it, you know, it would be on ABC or whatever. And I'm like, there's something here I like. And so I got into that and that really satisfied the cycling satisfied my need for, um, something that's like not subjective because snowboarding for me is subjective. Like I'm not going to, you know, try to one up you on a, on a 180. I'm going to put more style on it. Um, but mountain biking, I can be the best. Like, I beat you by four minutes. That's done. You know, it doesn't matter whose style. Of course, I did it with style, but it, that's like, it's, you know, it's cut and dried. So it, it satisfied this whole other thing that I had. <clears throat> and I found that, I guess, for whatever reason, my body was into it. Like, it was good for me. And when I was in my teens, I was beating local pros that competed nationally um, and I basically came to a point where I was 18 and it was like, do you want to chase snowboarding or do you want to chase mountain biking? 
and I chose snowboarding because it seemed like more fun and was likely the better decision. Um, although I think I probably would have gotten paid to mountain bike too. And that was in the heyday of mountain biking. But so the cycling has just been in the background for me forever. And when I tore my ACL in, uh, 99, I guess that was 2000. That was part of the rehab it was like riding your bike. And then I'm after 10 years of not riding bikes. Cause I was just snowboarding. I was like, Oh, this is cool. I'm into it. So, you know, got back into it a bit. And in the end of my snowboard career, I was racing mountain bikes and road bikes full time during the summer. So I wouldn't go to hood. I was just like checked out, just racing, snowboarding's paying for it. I'm going to all the national events, like, you know, kind of like you do with the motocross, like you're just out there getting it, going up the levels, checking, you know, expert next, keep going. Um, novice. Right. Yeah, we're, we're novice. We're still in novice. <laughs> so I do, I have an expert national championship in mountain bike for my age group, which was like 19 to 25, I think it was at the time. Um, and that, you know, it's like an age group national championship, but still that's like the one that I got. Um, and then I almost was a national champion on the cycle cross bike. The cycle cross bike is like, it's kind of like a road bike with knobby tires, similar to what people ride. They call them gravel bikes now. Um, but cycle cross is like a short one hour duration race. And the, it started in Belgium and they would race in the cow fields during the winter to, cause it's freezing ass. So there's like sections where you have to run through the mud with your bike. And basically it keeps you warm because you're exerting so much energy, but it became a, a form of racing and turned out that I really liked that because the short intensity was good for me. These are hour long races and uh, anyway, in like 2008 or 2009, I guess it was in Louisville, Kentucky, I came second in my age group, master's age group, national race, behind a guy who, unfortunately for me, um, was also, he was an elite racer, so professional. He was the top seven ranked cycle cross racer in the nation for elites that year, but they allowed pro riders to also compete in age group events, um, which subsequently the following year they didn't. So you got hosed. Because I kind of complained about it because, like, he he had national points. He was a paid rider. Like, I'm just a guy who wants a national championship. And um, Anyway, my point is that was the closest I came as far as cycle cross goes. But I did I did win a national championship as a master in cycle cross. Um, I won some races as an enduro rider. Enduro, like for people that don't know, is kind of like a mountain bike, but a little bit more longer travel. And you will ride like a, say, 30, 40-mile course in a day, but you're only timed on the downhill segments. And so it still requires fitness, but it skews it now toward the skill of the descending. And uh, I used to think downhillers were dumb and only smoked cigarettes and drank beer and there was no physicality to it. And that's true. But when you know, when you're racing, racing downhill is still just as physical. You get just as pinned. And there's like, even though the gravity's there, the fastest guy isn't just coasting down the hill, staying off the brakes. Um, but so that really appealed to me is that whole enduro racing. And um, I found that like in 2009, when I put the other spandex racing away and I didn't know what to do with myself. And I'm like, you know, I've raced and I won all these things, but you know, all you have to do is be sick for a week and it ruins your whole summer and your training. And it's all like 
how hard you train and how much you recover and how much food you eat or don't eat, you know, it's all these things. But so I really got into enduro racing and I started wanting to do something here locally and there weren't any races. So I just decided I was going to start a race and I started this race called the Wasatch Enduro in at the canyons. And my kind of my way I'm wired is like, you know, you're already going to produce a race. A local race is only maybe 10% less effort than a national race. You just have to think bigger and ask bigger people and present more. So we instantly made this a national calendar event. Um, it was at the canyons. There was, you know, hundreds of people participated. There was a concert afterwards and, and it just became this thing. And I brought Enduro to Utah for my friends um, ended up selling that to a company called MSI. I think they changed their name since then, but they, then they helped me expand it by selling it to them. And we expanded into, um, like a, an event in angel fire and sun Valley, Idaho. And we did one in Moab. And so kind of created this whole series, which was, which was really cool. Um, unfortunately that series has since folded. And so my friends don't have anywhere to enduro anymore as much as they used to. Um, but yeah, so there's just a lot of like the cycling is like snowboarding, skateboarding, cycling, and uh, cars. You ever see that classic photo from uh, Tour de France where it's in like the 50s or 60s, and they're uh, in middle of the race, and there's three of them just smoking cigs as they're oh, biking. Yeah. That shit's yep. awesome. I think they used to think that ra- it opened uh, your lungs. They right, thought. opened your lungs yeah. and raised your hematocrit levels. Yeah, by smoking. so mid mid race, everyone would light up a cig. Yeah, that's Hang, hanging up in my doctor's office. I was like tight. All right, it's time to get to a segment of the show we call Hot Takes. Uh, first thing we're going to ask is the, the greatest of all time, the GOAT or the Michael Jordan, or however you want to frame it to you, but uh, both male and female in snowboarding, who you got? Right, so this one I thought about for a bit because um, there's so many different ways you can look at it. But I, So I kind of reframed it to like, who was Michael Jordan, right? Like he was the best at that time, brought everything to another level. Have there been better? Yes. Um, so here's who I got. Sean Palmer is who I got as the GOAT because, I mean, yeah, you got your Craig Kelly's, right? But Sean Palmer was like, Craig Kelly was like the businessman, like the style, the smooth. Sean Palmer was the punk, do what I want to do in your face, like, embodied absolutely they both embodied everything snowboarding but i'm gonna i'm just gonna put palmer there as the goat great on the men's side and love it the female side again for the same types of things right that have there been better yes um but tina basich had an incredibly long career she was in videos that i saw and then she continued to expand her game as my game came along like I was had the pleasure of actually meeting her and becoming friends with her and going on snowboard trips and stuff. But she, you know, did so many great things with her career and it was long and helped, you know, pioneer for other women who came after who I would just like to mention, uh, Trisha Burns, um, Jessica Delpies, uh, early pioneers, not early pioneers, but like other ladies from my day, like Hillary Mayberry, like other women that were out there doing it um, and, and paving the way while, you know, while the industry was doing what the industry was doing. Like I love where the industry's at now, you know, recognizing and supporting um, 
and certainly the industry didn't support the woman as much as it could have in the past. Like love seeing a woman on the cover, hate seeing token anything. Um, but all these ladies that I mentioned got their, their dues and they represented at that, at that time and set the standard. Amazing. Great. Well, um, explained answer. Uh, most underrated. Ooh, most underrated. Yikes. That's like a new one. This is a new one. This is for new. Got new, his wire crossed over here. New riders. I don't even know. I can't even think of who is most underrated. I, I don't pay enough attention to modern snowboarding. Um, even back in the day, somebody even, that maybe didn't get the shine right. they deserve. I got your answer for you. Jason King back in the day. Bro, I was just going to say Jason King. He was so sick. Right, yeah. I was honestly just thinking like of back in the day, someone that nobody hardly knew. He did have a pro model on shot snowboards mm-hmm. one season, but yeah. Style yeah. like no other. Jay King had the ill style. He he actually um, lives up in Jackson Hole now, and you can check him out at King Sushi. Nice. He's rolling sushi. Yeah, he owns his own sushi spot up there. He's killing Sick. it. Sick. Okay, next question, Steel or Pow? Um, I have to choose. Well, you can answer it however you yeah, want. Steel or Pow? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't choose one or the other i just ride whatever's there uh but if i had to choose i guess i would choose pow because just riding steel all the time would just be bony okay best style ever best style ever devin walsh and then i got a female um i'm gonna i'm gonna send the the female out to jill oh yeah nice uh, good answer jill what's jill perkins perkins thank you yep. perky i like i I was like, I'm going to give it to Jill Perkins. Okay, best board graphic ever. Oh, man. I've heard the um, Radical Rick, right, from the uh, Matt Cummings. That Lib one, Tech. Lib Tech. That was pretty popular for me. Uh, I had another one that I thought I re- I wrote it down because I was like, man, what are the good ones? Um, damn. That's the one, though, that I got. Radical Rick? Was Rad- Radical Rick was so sick. Yeah. Uh, or like the Jeff Rushy. I really like the Jeff Rushy Bones one. Yeah, the fish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that one's really super good. Classic. Okay. Um, pants over or under the high back? Right. So this one kind of depends, right? Like if you don't have a pro model binding, you should probably put your pants over it. So I always kept mine tucked like so my name would be showing. You had a pro model binding bag for or a pro model binding bag for a little while too. Yeah, yeah. This won't even fit under the pants. I got I got the bag over here on the high back. Um, but yeah, you know, it just depends. If you're wearing holding pants, you probably got to tuck them in. And if you're wearing dub, you're probably going on the outside. Sometimes I go one over, one under. You've never, have you? I, oh yeah. I don't know if you <laughs> caught it. Like, um, I don't know. Oh, I'm a yeah. bi- I'm a big Seinfeld fan, and I noticed that on um, the natural selection. I want to say it was like uh, Torstein. Gets ready to drop in. He's got one tuck, one yep. no tuck. And my buddy is like messaging me. He's like screen grabs it. He's like one tuck, one no tuck. Mm-hmm. You know, from like when Jerry and and uh, Costanza go and they they're like at the hotel and, and like telling Lupe the the housemaid like to untuck or not untuck their oh sheets. on the bed sheets yeah, one tuck or one no tuck. Anyway, perfect. If you go heli boarding with three people, I'm a no tuck personally. Who are you taking? No tuck. So um, I actually would load up Eastone over here because nice. he's super fun for the banter vibes. I would take Mikey LeBlanc because he's also fun for the banter vibes and he has a great eye. 
And then I would take J2 so he can go off the kicker before me and I can aim away from his bomb hole. Perfect. <laughs> Great answer. Yeah. All right, beaver yeah, slap. That'd be a really dope helmet. Be- right beaver there. slap. Okay, so the, a couple things about the beaver slap. Stock beaver slap. So I like to beaver slap. I'm not sure if people are aware of the history of beaver slap. It has a purpose, which is not just to annoy or slap snow or annoy like the people in line. It's to dislodge the snow from your base plate so that you can put your foot in. So I think beaver slaps are important. And with that, I made an invention that, you know, if you guys want to go in on this with me. Isn't that a corn and a cob holder? <laughs> so it is a corner of the cob holder it's also like the base plate picker nice so you just have it dangle style you know you can you can pick this is for people that don't like to beaver slap yeah but they but they do need to clear snow out of their base plate i realize there's I, don't know shark can, tank. I don't know if we can patent that though yeah, that's because of the corner of the cob people also a li- right. little bit of a liability while snowboarding i'm yeah. just gonna go ahead well it's also it's like a steez check right so if if it hits you in the face your steez is whack and your hands are moving too much yeah if it's a hard plastic though it could probably still cut through the snow and not puncture your eyeball. Yeah, I mean to be honest, I went to the DI and I. I put what this do you together. think? Um, That's dope. What do you think, Mister Wonderful would say on Shark Tank, buds? I think he would say you, you because it's a you think corn in the cob patented item already that we can't move forward with it. Oh, I'm really? Out. I am out on that. one. I'd say that he'd probably evaluate his company at about ten million dollars, and he'd be willing to offer ten percent, and Mister Wonderful would take it. Seriously, again, this is a prototype. I don't have a three D printer. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, uh, another one we got to talk. Edge drag. You you in the parking lot? You drag an edge, bro. I've seen him drag edge. Oh, is he? I drag. I drag so much edge. But here's I I recognize the cringe factor in that. Like you know, fingers on the chalkboard. Some people don't want to hear it. So again, oh, you got a new invention for that too. (laughs) (laughs) So I got an invention. This is uh, this could either be called the wow, dude. This is either the dragon steer roller. Or um, I forgot what the other one was. Maybe it's like a clip dragger. But so obviously you've got um, a, a clip, a right? Clamp. A clamp, a rubber-tipped clamp with this wheel that I mounted to it. And so when you clip it on your board, it just it rolls back and forth. So you can drag across the concrete without having to... Uh, I think you might be on to something I with that one. I think I'm in on this one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, would you like to invest, buds? Yeah, I would like to invest. Again, this one, you know, it's a little big. I don't have a 3D printer, but you can imagine this scaled down. You just clip it on your waist belt. Yeah. It's so almost like, like a board like caddy. Gadget and then on top of it, it's, uh, it's got a Tech 9 washer on it. Wow, dude. Yeah. This is nice. Those will be available at bombhole.com. Use promo code OLLIEG for 45% off. Right. And this wheel's already worn down, too. You've this. You've tried it. Uh yeah, dude, this is great. I'm in. <laughs> it's got four wheel drive capabilities. Oh yeah, yeah. It's got tread on there. Yeah, yeah it's got tread. serious tread. This is what I think about. When These I are watch good, the in, good inventions. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a board caddy. Yeah, seriously, those are looking like some BFG all terrains right yeah. there. Heavy tread. This but yes, dope. I do like to drag my board through the parking lot. Do you got any more inventions over there? No, just these ones. That was great. Well, no more dragon needed here. Uh, last one of hot takes. Worst trend. What do you got? Um, let's see. Worst trend. I already kind of tr- touched on this one earlier. So it's like for me, the worst trend is just like that that social media mentality, the cancel culture, just where people feel that they want to put out something negative instead of putting out something positive. Yeah. Great. Great answer. Now we got to ask: Have you ever hit a smelling salt before? No, no. no. Well, we got a fresh can. I think. Right- 
Are you interested in smacking a smelling salt? You know, it wouldn't be the bomb hole without whacking some salts. I know that we're re up, so we kind of you get a salt, you get a salt. We used to have to, we used to, right? have to really, uh, we used to have to share this, with share right? People. But now it's I remember you guys were sharing them around. You guys are crazy. Yep. So what's, what's Sque- so squeeze it and then you can kind of like work it up to your nose, like where the white spot is. Yeah. So right in the middle. So then, yeah. Oh, you went, you went oh, in. He went in. Woo. Wow. It's not that bad, honestly. Oh. It's not Woo. that bad. Yeah, it's good. Wow. Those uh, were restocked. Run through a wall. Smelling salts are available at bombwell.com. Uh, whew, how are you feeling, buds? I'm feeling uh, alive. Are you ready to run through some I'm feeling perky over here. You know what I mean? Nice. Love that. Yeah, you guys are crazy. I never inhaled. You didn't even inhale? Bro, I'm the guy that's going to throw the shots over his shoulder. I just... Oh, he did a fake. He did a fake. You faked it? I faked it. it. I think we should hold him down and make him sneak. Yeah, we should. Shots over the shoulder, son. I've seen you do shots over the shoulder, too. Right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good move for anyone. Did you ever do that now that you don't drink? It looks too I've never done it. Like, accept it and just... I've never done it. I should, though. Yeah, it's the best. Be careful who's standing behind you. That's my only advice. Another good one is no one's ever paying attention. After you get it, you just tip it down. And jump it on the floor and then shoot it. I'll just do a yeah, I do that. pseudo These shooter. are pro tips. Yeah. Yeah, man. Saki every time. Every time. Mm. Wow. I like that. Yeah. They're like, you back on the wagon? Yep. Yep. Boom. Boom. Shots, 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 shots. Well, what's <laughs> what's next for Ollie G? Oh, man. I like that you asked that. Um, You know, actually, so I love to dabble in different things and then you know, passion, like I get into these passion projects all the time. And uh, AMAO that we have over here is a skateboard brand that I've been doing for a few years now. And uh, I actually started it with my buddy Mikey. And unfortunately, um, Mikey Mikey passed shortly after Twos passed away. He had uh, pancreatic cancer mm. that was diagnosed too late. So, um, you know, note to all your friends – if you feel a little weird, maybe get yourself checked out. Cause he just felt mildly weird. Didn't even a, feel that bad. Yeah. He was, I think he had some dif- discomfort with stomach and stuff. And pancreatic is something where it doesn't show itself until it hits the liver, I guess. Uh. And, um, so yeah, he was diagnosed like four months to live. Um, and so we, we had started this company together cause we were skating a lot and you know, you're going through boards all the time, even buying them at shop prices, is not cheap enough. So we were like, okay, well, we know some companies will get some boards pressed and, you know, again, passion and me thinking just, you know, I'm like, why do something local when you can do something global? Not that our company is global, but instead of just making boards for us, you know, we, we branded them, we put an Instagram page together and start selling them at retail. And so AMAO is um, it's the first initial of each of Mikey's kids' names, um, Asher, Milo, uh, man, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank now. Asher, Milo, Oliver, and Annabelle, um, out of order, but AMAO. And so that's like, that's the brand. And what we do is um, we collab or I collab with local artists like Sweet Needles, or um, I'm just going to drop some Instagram handles like Hills Art. Uh, a stray art and I work with these local artists and I'll lay their stuff up on a board. Then we'll do like a pre-sale and have people buy in. That kind of helps us with production 
and then you know we'll do something special like those those ones that they bought directly from the artist will have like a signature and then the rest of them go into retail at normal retail pricing. And, um, so it's just kind of a strategy of like low overhead, minimal risk, but still being able to do something really cool and get an artist out there. And, um, it's just been a fun project, like sponsor some, I say sponsor, but you know, we flow decks to like some local people, like again, Instagram handle, like Lena beast or my buddy Jaja jam box or, um, you know, various local kids and it's just, it's just fun. Cause I like skateboarding. I like art, but I'm not an artist as much as I'm more like a, I guess a, a curator or an art director. Curator. But, that's yeah. But I have a lot of fun with it. We, you know, we have an Instagram, um, AMAO skateboard co on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on, uh, you know, the web as well. And, um, actually I'd love to pop up a couple boards just to show what we do. Yeah, do it. Go grab. Like this is, this is the first board that we did, which has um, Mikey on it. And it's, as you can see, you guys, it's, it's just out by Tooele. We were skating this full pipe. It's a cool photo of him just standing there. And Sweet Needles did um, the frame on it. And this just kind of set, set off the company. So after he passed, I did this commemorative board, um, sold it, you know, pre-sale, gave basically the profits back to the family. Not that it was a ton of money, um, but then, you know, kept the, the production money and kept rolling it over. And um, so Mikey, you know, the commemorative board helped launch it. And then as you can see, you know, just other ones, this one's fun. This one is the uh, ass face Dickerson. <laughs> this is a local lady Hills art. You can find her on Instagram. See, he's got an ass face. He's got a little dick. Um, his friends call him Frank, though. <laughs> it's a tight graphic right there. And then this, this one is this one we did really oh, well man. with. Um, so my buddy James Judge of Jambox on uh, Instagram, he took this photo with his phone, and um, I was just messing around and laid it up on a deck, and I'm like, you know, that looks pretty cool. And D's is just such a staple of Salt Lake City yeah. that there's like people people were out of the woodwork for this one. People bought it to collect it. And, you know, people are like, Oh, I got a blog. I need to have that. I actually even got hit up. It was like the, the cousin or the nephew of the guy who's married to the woman that owns D's. And, um, they D's a one-off. No, like a, there's a couple of them. There is. Yeah. There's a couple of them. Um, and so he hit me up, he DM me and he's like, Oh, I got to get these, you know, my wife owns D's. So I went over to this guy's cabinet shop where he makes cabinets and sold him two D's decks for his kids for Christmas, full that's pop. Cool. And I'm just like, here you go, man, full pop. But that's uh, sweet. yeah, so that's, it's just fun. And um, we do, I do have a new graphic in the works. That's going to be another, another heater like the D's. It's just, it's just fun. It's cool. Cause that's the angle of D's as you're driving by basically. Yeah. It's basically shot from the middle yeah. of the street. Yeah. From the car. I'd imagine there's a little movement on it, right? Yeah. It looks like it. Yep. It was just just workable That's as sick. far as like stretch and movement. And Being a phone photo, it's yeah. like a good looking printed phone photo. That's why photographers are going out of business left and right. And then the sweet needles. The sweet needles just hit hard. Classic, because it's classic. And then I conceptualized this one myself, which Dope. is you know your basic go to social media pattern, play on something that exists. Yep, Twitter rip. Yep, Twitter rip. Your old Twitter rip. So you know that's that's kind of the 
these are the like the passion projects. Um, you know, besides the skateboarding, I've been delving back into my my car stuff lately. Finally, that my kids are grown up enough. Um, you know, there's the freedom of time and money, and um, I just have a deep passion for cars. So lately, I've been, you know, like buying and selling and fixing them up. And so I'm always buying a car that's like, as I mentioned before, like completely devalued or undervalued and needs work that I can, that I can do. And I'm, that's like my hobby. And part of that is I've started doing like this whole, like a YouTube thing. So I've got this YouTube called auto afflicted and weekly. I'm just dropping episodes. You drop them weekly. Yeah. Weekly. Um, it's a heavy load. A lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I've just like, I've, I won't break down how I do it, but I've, I've just taken approach of like consistency low impact as far as whole, the whole capture thing. And, um, and I'm, I just have so many friends with cool cars mm-hmm. and I'm always doing car stuff that most of it is like a review of a car. I'll go see someone's car, drive it. But sometimes I'll go to like my buddy's uh, sprinter place where they build out sprinters and like do a review of that or go to the Audi place that two Bennett Audi motive that built my Audi and, you know, go see everything they're doing. Um, again, it's passion stuff. If it, turns into something and I make money on YouTube. Cool. If not, where can people see this on YouTube? So on YouTube, it's auto afflicted just as it sounds. Um, and yeah, you find me right on YouTube. You got a social episode every Wednesday. So today I dropped an episode. Today. Um, Yeah. Yep. Get your bomb hole. Get, get a little, uh, a little auto afflicted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm basically following like the bomb hole pattern. It's like dropping consistency, consistency Wednesdays. I even stole like on my social media. I do like the sort of clip intro. So on on social, it's the highlights, smart, those clips where it's like the car getting rad or the person saying something funny to just draw people in. Cause when I saw what you guys were doing, it just, it made so much sense. And I'm like, Oh yeah. When I do it, I'm I'm gonna implement that. So yeah, so people can find that every Wednesday, and I try to make it like it's not super car nerdy. Like I know a lot, but a lot of these cars are cars that you know I don't know everything. Like I reviewed my buddy's Miata. It's like not as much about the Miata as it is the driving of the Miata and you know the people involved. And so I try to make it something that even if you didn't love cars specifically, if you kind of liked my personality, you would be entertained. And that's, that's what I, that's dope. That's what I'm doing. Solid. Yeah. yeah. That's my amazing, my passions. A lot of, I love to see the passion. It seems like you always, you get into something and you go all in yeah, and you're deep. excited about it. And I really like what you said about, you know, time, the value of time over the value of money. Mm-hmm. I thought that really resonated with me. Me too. Yeah. I mean, if I would say anything about that, it's like the, t- that time is so valuable that people should try to value your time more than, than your work. But then also, you know, you should throw yourself into your work and your passions 100%, I think, because like you've said before, you know, the moto quote is like you can't get fast in that in the cast, the cast. or whatever, you, you know, live to ride another day. Or you also, you know, if you can't win if you don't try. Mm-hmm. And I think probably more people should chase their passions. Mm-hmm. Um but also know when to bail. Like I was doing a clothing company a year ago and I was so excited doing this clothing company and, you know, maybe someday I'm going to go on the bomb hole and it's going to help launch it. And, but then along the way, like my partner and I had, you know, we got distracted and it lost momentum and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't headed the direction I wanted. So we just 
pull the tr- the plug, but we're like, we're going to go all in for a year. And you, you got to know when yeah. to pull the plug. Though. Well, yeah. in the words of Kenny Rogers, but, yeah. you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. But mm-hmm. right, it's true. Well, so true. I mean, you got to persevere, but perseverance for nothing. Is, you know, it's is, funny. Is I found out that wasn't a Kenny Rogers quote. <laughs> I thought that was Kenny Rogers. It's, uh, it's somebody else. My wife corrected me what? recently. You got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. Know when to hold them, know when to fold them. I could swear it's a that, Kenny Rogers song. That's from the Kenny Rogers song, though. Yeah, the Kenny Gambler. Rogers song. Yeah, Kenny Rogers Maybe wrote I was that. Thinking of a different the one. Gambler. Yeah, yeah, it's about gambling. God. Don't yeah. even start going. Don't, don't, ca- don't count your money Roger, at the table. I don't think Ken- Kenny Rogers sings the gambler, though. Sing it. Sing Google. It. I almost guarantee it's Kenny Rogers. Uh, yeah. I wanted to say Kenny Loggins, but I know that's not right. Right now, Kenny Loggins. Oh, no. We were saying Kenny Loggins maybe yeah, on one Ken- trip. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Right, right. We were totally wrong. <laughs> You're trying yeah. to make a false Mandela effect. Yeah. Yep. Those happen all the time. But, you know. Well, that's what it was on a trip. We kept saying Kenny, Kenny Loggins. Loggins. Oh, so, yeah, so going true. going back to what you said there, too, the 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 you know if we're just throwing away around uh, cliche life advice like it's a fucking nothing right now but right. it is so true that the the fear of failure is what stops a lot of people and um you know it, it's it's like you you got to if you don't try you can't fail but realizing that trying something and it not working out is is great it's better to try and have it not work out than just right. you know think about what would have happened right that's worse Right. Well, you almost you're almost shooting yourself in the foot because the failure is where the growth is. Yeah. And I mean, you'll hear like Elon Musk or anyone like that will tell you, you know, you fail a lot. Yeah. I mean, we all know that snowboarding, photography, whatever it is, you you fail and you learn, and it's it is. I guess that's the beautiful and the sad thing about society is that so many people are fa- afraid to fail, or it's put in such a bad light. But you don't get anywhere mm-hmm. if you don't try. Yeah, those failures stick with you as learning moments, and right, and they're good for you. I was thinking about how rad that is, and what we do. I was watching uh, raw clips on Thrasher of a skateboard part, and the skater it was Spanky, and he kept going back, and uh, you'd see him in three different outfits trying a trick. So <laughs> he'd try it for like a day, didn't get it. Go back, different outfit, try it a day, didn't get it. Maybe four, you'd see like four different outfits till you finally land it. Like how amazing is it that what we do is you're like going to go back to some street spot in the middle of some shitty town that nobody else in the world even sees as a spot and try some trick, you know, for fucking 16 hours or whoever, whoever many three, four hour battles somebody puts in to get a 10 second clip. Like if yeah. that doesn't teach you something good about life, like, right. you know, with snowboarding and skating, like, well, it's it's great life lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's why you've seen so many snowboarder, skateboarder, action sports <coughs> athletes move from their sports into, you know, key marketing positions within the industry or or whatever it may be, um, because you do learn that lesson in, in a very different way. That's you know, it's it's so relevant, but you don't even realize it when you're learning it because you're just like, oh. I hit my shin a, uh, shins a thousand times doing the skateboard trick or, you know, I've tried this cork so many times and you don't even realize you're getting that mm-hmm. lesson. And, and it's like everything you could ever need for your life. Good stuff. Facts. Life lessons from skating and snowboarding. Seriously. Well, uh, man, Ollie, I think it's been a good conversation. Um, where can people find you on the internet if they want to connect? Right, you want to find me? Um, I'm the real Ali G show on all social media. I'm on, well, Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Don't 
Go to my YouTube, though. Go to my auto-afflicted <laughs> YouTube and subscribe over there. Please, please. All right, before we wrap this thing up, uh, we always like to ask our guests, you want to throw out any thank yous? Yeah, yeah. Try to keep it short, but obviously, you know, this is, I kind of see this as like my last chance to thank people out in the in the bigger world of snowboarding. Thanks to you guys. Um, so, you know, I want to give a shout out to my mom, of course, because um, she helped me to be who I am. And of course, uh, shout out to my wife because who can do it without their significant other? And, you know, my wife is just the best. So um, I couldn't do it without her. And then, you know, I want to give a shout out to basically everyone out there, the I'm not even going to say fans, but like the people that had supported, whether they, you know, just liked my snowboarding or they've reached out on social media. I've had so many great contacts with people thanks to social media that, um, you know, people from just around the world. And so I just want to thank all those people for their friendship and their support of my snowboarding and, you know, snowboarding in general. Um, and then just the early year kickoff. So I got to give shouts to Dan Sullivan, who we talked about earlier, who was like the first guy to put me on with a discounted snowboard. Chris Mask from OSIN, all the OSIN people. Um, I want I want to thank, you know, of course, all my photographer and video friends like Ethan and Cole and Whitey and Andy Wright, Blotto, um, you know, anyone that took a photo of me and, and helped me get to where I went. I uh, just wanted to thank everyone for that. And just, you know, everyone out there for the journey and thank you to you guys. Uh, I know it seems kind of like big and, and generalized, but um, I don't know. Well, those are good. Spread good vibes, right? Yeah. Love to everybody. Spread good vibes. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, Ollie. And again, thank you so much to everybody that supports the show, whether they buy merch, they subscribe to patreon subscribe to our channel listen on podcast apps all you guys rule uh we really appreciate you guys so um that being said over and out from the bomb hole we'll see you next week peace